We're starting again. Episode 306 with Don Albrock. We're having technical difficulties because we're both retarded. Don's got a snowstorm. I'm a moron. There's no excuse for me. And here we are, back at it. So now I've opened up the New York file. All right, we're back. We're recording. We're good. Okay, well, we'll pick it up with uh, the the New York uh, SWAT uh-huh. uh, file. That's the if you if you open that up, you'll see there's a, some photos there, and, and uh, most of these we've looked at. But the one where the with the aircraft down there in the corner, uh, you might see it. Or it just says uh-huh. NY SWAT Sammy, Sammy yep. yep. Well, that's uh, there's a, a in New York. We we did a lot of organized crime work, as you can imagine. Uh-huh. Gotti, of course. Was the was the main guy? Uh, he killed Castellano and oh man, when was that? Eighty three, I think. And he took over the the New York crime family, and um, uh, basically he'd been running things ever since. And he was he was a vicious vicious guy. So uh, uh, state went after him a couple times, didn't get him. Um, the uh, finally we it's a it's a great story. There, there's uh, several books out on it. But we finally were able to get the goods on the guy, and um, he he knew he was sunk, mm-hmm. and uh, he, so he and his uh, consigliere, which is basically the um, the family's attorney, uh, cooked up this um, this scheme to. Uh, well, first of all, they went to Sammy the Bull Gravano, who was the underboss, and they they told him he had to take the take the hit for all this, and he's going, you know, why why, yeah. why me, you know, and uh, he, he was kind of balking at that. You still there? Yeah, oh, there you go. <laughs> We're having a rough start. Keep going. Keep going. Okay. So he was balking at that. So uh, they they conspired to basically blame everything on him, whether or not he wanted to take the fall or not. Mm-hmm. And so he goes, "Well, you know," he says, "This this ain't right." He says, "This is this isn't this is not the way we do things in the family." Mm-hmm. So he said, "Screw you guys." I'm going, I'm going state's evidence. So basically he went, uh, he cooperated with the FBI and he rolled on Gotti. And uh, honestly, it was, it was icing on the cake. We had the goods on Gotti. We would have convicted him anyway. But the, uh, but him testifying was a huge blow to the morale of the uh, organized crime in New York. It really took them down hard. And uh, they never recovered from that either. They, they tried to make us go at it again. And we, took him down again but sammy the bull back to him he was testifying of course in federal court and as a result he was um a kid there was a contract out for his life because they're gonna kill him right yeah so uh so they they fell to the new york swat team to um actually do the uh protection form now they, your viewers might say well isn't that the marshals witness protection program yes and no uh the, the marshals will take over a witness once the case is concluded and the witness has testified but up until that time the witness is the responsibility of the agency that's conducting the investigation in this case was us so we were responsible for his safety and well-being uh, for the time being until the court, until he got to court, which drug on for a couple of years, mm-hmm. I might add. Um, so as a result, we ended up, uh, spiriting him away to various locations, uh, throughout the United States and keeping me in safe houses basically. And, uh, we'd always have, uh, usually hostage rescue team did a, a bit of it. Um, uh, and then whenever he was up in the New York vicinity or maybe down at Quantico or someplace like that, we would uh, we would do it, and mm-hmm. um, and of course HRT did too, and 
in one occasion, he had to come back and do a debrief with the United States Attorney's Office. And this, and I happened to have my camera with me. And um, we're doing a witness protection detail, basically. And that photo that uh, where the, with the aircraft there, yeah. that's HRT's plane. He had just finished uh, testifying in, uh, uh, before the – was I think that, that was not court yet. I think this was a profferer. Uh, a meeting with the U.S. Attorney's Office discussing his testimony. And because the trial hadn't started yet, because um, it's my recollection, because I left uh, before that. Uh, but um, the if you'll notice, they got we got the biggest guys on the SWAT team walking with Sammy. Sammy's the short guy with yeah. no hat. Okay. okay, all right. Yeah, the, the short guy with with the hat is the team leader. Okay, and that's Phil Scala. He's he's the uh, he'll turn. He ended up being the supervisor of the uh, organized crime squad that 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 got Gotti the second time, and uh, the Gotti family. Uh, but you see the guys there uh, uh, walking with him. Uh, I, I can't. The, the picture's fuzzy, but I think the front guy is an HRT guy because they're they're putting you back in the plane and. Um, uh, looks like John Mulligan and uh, Ron Parker Pearson, and and I, I'm guessing by the seismic that might be Conrad Motika. I'm not sure, but I can't see from his bit it back to me. But uh, uh, that's that's uh, those are those were the biggest guys uh, escorting around. Because Sammy was short, you mm-hmm. know. So we we did this, uh, you know, for several. For like, I think for the last year I was there, or something like that, because I was there in '93, and that's when all this was going on. 93 is a banner year, and um, we ended up uh, doing a uh, uh, babysitting him a little bit down at Quantico. We had him uh, uh, hidden out down there, but there's an interesting story that goes with that. We were up all night, uh, myself and Doug Spillers, my partner on SWAT. You've heard me mention before, we, we were... We're taking the midnight shift, so we're uh, Sammy sleeping, and uh, you know we're we're just sitting outside his room and you know watching TV. In fact, we watched Lonesome Dove all eight episodes, but uh, you know so the morning comes the uh, early in the morning, like four in the morning before anybody's awake uh, on the FBI campus down there. Um, the uh, they decided he went, he wanted to go for a run, and there's a, a place out there where you can run around the lake, and it's it's uh, real secluded. So the two case agents come in, Maddie and Frank, who's who are famous famous guys in the FBI. They uh, they come in and they um, uh, they pick him up, and they're in their running gear, and they pick up Sammy. He's in his running gear, and they they pile in our suburban, and uh, which Doug and I are driving. And we took we drive him out to. Um, you know, the lake, and, and then we follow them, and they out go off for a run, and we follow them. We've we got our lights on. We're, it's pitch dark. We're, we're driving around this, what we call tank trails out there. And, um, man, it was, we've been up all night. Man, I'm tired. And um, uh, Doug nods off, <laughs> and I, I don't even know if I noticed that he had fallen asleep. But uh, the, the problem occurred when I fell asleep. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm, I'm driving the suburban, and I'm following Maddie and Frank and the uh, and Sammy the Bull, and uh, and and, uh, and and I all of a sudden I wake up and I am I got to be ten feet from him. I, I Jesus <laughs> Christ! I slam on the brakes. Of course, Doug wakes up, and I say, "Oh my God! I almost ran him over." <laughs> <laughs> Jesus I was Christ. exhausted, you know, and, and I wasn't. Now I was awake. Now yeah. I was awake. But I'm sitting there going, how the hell would we prove that, uh, you know, this wasn't some kind of FBI conspiracy. If I would have run over, no, the it, star it'd still witness, be, you know? it would still be a conspiracy <laughs> to this day. That's one. Yeah, yeah. They would think that you were compromised by the mob, that yeah, you got, yeah. some, you got your mortgage paid off or something. 
And you're gonna, oh, be, be all kinds of stories. Yeah. You're gonna be like, I just fell asleep, man. Yeah, it's just that simple. And, and anybody that know me would, would believe it. They yeah. would believe it. Jeez. But the, uh, uh, the the crazy part was, is I, we talked, we sat and talked to this guy for oh, I don't know, hours. You know, he's he's like he was a hell of a nice guy, very engaging, uh, very sharp. Uh, you know, I don't think he graduated high school, but man, this guy was smart, and he was uh, extremely cordial and and he understood and that's kind of the way it is with the mob guys they know we're professionals and and we treat them with respect so they treat us with respect pretty much maybe some of the young turks might not but the older guys they all they all get you know so we're just too uh we're just doing our jobs at opposite ends of spectrum yeah yeah so and this guy's killed 19 people he admitted to and 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 there's no reason in my mind to doubt that he didn't but um a great guy i mean i i i mean He's a stone cold killer. Yeah. But, uh, but as far as sitting down and talking to him, you know what I mean? You got a beer with him. I mean, he was just a, yeah. he wasn't like a psychopath. He was yeah. just a, uh, probably a little sociopath, probably, you know, yeah. but, uh, but, uh, you know, he's, uh, he was very, um, very interesting to talk to, yeah. you know, and you know, you don't get an opportunity to do that very often. So that, that was, that was pretty cool back in, back in New York. And of course, after the fact, um, I, I departed New York the end of 93, early 94, went to Kansas City, and uh, my team stayed behind, of course, did uh, the continuing <clears throat> uh, protection for Sammy through the uh, uh, trial. And, uh, of course, I heard all the stories about that and everything. They said uh, the mob guys were coming into court and trying to intimidate Sammy, which mm-hmm. was not going to work. Mm-hmm. And so to counter that, we, we uh, brought in the SWAT team. And, and other agents from the office, oh, and we filled filled the first two rows of the uh, courtroom so that the, the mob guys had to sit behind us. Jeez. And so we were there. We took up the first two rows. So when Sammy looked out into the uh, audience, uh, he could see friendly faces. This was relayed to me by my um, by my partner Craig Arnold, who was still on the team. In fact, I think he took over the team shortly after that. But when um, Phil Scala got a promotion to be the supervisor, but. But it was good times in New York. It was it was crazy? But <clears throat> again, now moving along. But uh, if we can go, back, go, yeah, go back real quick. So when when he goes for a run or something, is but it doesn't even have to be him. Let's just say it was anyone in witness protection, just any you know guy who's speaking about the whatever, someone that they want killed. Yeah. Is is that where I feel like that would be like a um a weak spot? If there was a contractor and they knew where he was, I mean, is it a possibility? Obviously, you guys would think it through, but I mean, is it a possibility there's a sharpshooter that's, you know, he's going to claim that million dollar bounty? Is there, is. Yeah, but he'd have to know our schedule, where we were, that sort of thing. And it was all kept close, close hold. So there was, you know, of course, when he. They knew he was going to show up in court. Yeah. Of course, a court is secure. It, it, it's uh, you can't get guns inside. Not, you could. I mean, yeah, Brian you, Nichols. You, you can always do it, but but um, um, you know, there was a lot of security in that courtroom. So uh, there was, as far as his coming and going, we we took we took great pains to uh, make sure that anyone who was trying to surveil us um, had no luck. Yeah. I mean, because we didn't just go by car. We went by boat, by plane. Yeah. We, we, we did everything. And we always had him uh, hidden out someplace where nobody could find him. Or even if they suspected he was there, nowhere, no way they could get in. Yeah. Like military installation, something like that. So okay. it was, it was, uh, it's something, it's like, you know, protecting the president or something. Like yeah. That. It is L is, would you say that there's probably something similar going on with El Chapo? 
You know, I'm sure. Uh, I, I don't. I'm, I'm trying to think who would be. Um, would DEA have him? Um, Probably, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure who's got him. Or the Mark, if he's because he's still. I don't know. Has that trial finished yet? I think. I think they still have him in ADX Florence. Well, that, yeah, he's been convicted. Yeah, I think. Yeah, he's been convicted. Well, yeah, he's. Yeah, Florence is where all the the baddest of the bad go. Yeah, the uh, that FBI mole. Who's it? Brian Hansen? Is it Hansen? Robert Hanson. Robert Hanson, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That asshole is out there. Yeah. Nine yeah. eleven mastermind. He's not that bad. They're just punishing him. Oh yeah, no, that's what it is. Oh no, he wasn't a yeah. no, he he was just doing it for cash. But I mean, yeah, no, you're they're making yeah. an example. <laughs> they're making yeah. an example yeah. of the douchebag. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that 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 guy we brought back from um Africa, um, O'Day, he went to Florence, but I think he they moved him out of there eventually. Yeah. Um yeah. not sure where, but I, uh but, there's a lot of a lot of guys going there. Yeah, I called them. I tried to get someone from there on the podcast. They didn't respond. <laughs> I was no. like, I was like, yeah, hey, you got to take your shot. <laughs> you can find a retired guy. Yeah, you know, maybe. Yeah, yeah that's it. I'll, I'll ask around. Maybe next. That would be awesome. I'm an idiot. I yeah. went straight in, left a voicemail. I'm like, hey, I'm 30 years old. My name's Tommy. Can I talk to the warden? Just no response. Hey man, if you're gonna shoot for it, go for the top. I got Hey, you know what? Stranger things have happened. Hey, I know? got a formal rejection from the office of General Mattis, so Yeah. yeah. Hey, hey like, at least I'll, they read your yeah. uh, request. I got a formal rejection know. from the office of uh George Bush as well. So hey. Well, I'll, hey, I'll take I'll take the formal rejections as wins. But yeah. Hey, right. You know what? You should fi- create a file. That's yeah, all. Exactly. Um, anyway, back to the back to the pictures. I was going to sure. I was going to comment on the one with uh, the, myself and my partner Rich Vanelli. He's in the uh, the two of us uh, because it's significant where we are. We're in our raid jackets. Uh, you see that picture? Which one? Raid jacket? Says, uh, New York WTC the bombing ninety three. Yeah, yeah. Now that uh, that that night we were working fugitives. He was my partner fugitives. Funny thing about it was he lived right down the street from me. Okay. Uh, in Pennsylvania, you know, there was a New York was so expensive. We had about forty or fifty agents living out in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which is eighty miles from the office. And we used to drive through Philadelphia Division, Newark Division to get to the New York Division to go to work every day. That's how far out it was. That's how expensive things were there. And and so he and I would would ride together a lot. And he was like I said, he's right, lived right down the street from me. And uh, uh, so we were partnering up. When we were on fugitives, and uh, uh, <laughs> he was he was a great guy. We got along famously. Uh, but that picture right there, we had been out working late on a fugitive caper, and. Um, but it would happen right after the bombing. The bomb, we had been working on the bombing. And then the next night we were out working on a fugitive case. And so we, you know, it'd been a couple of days now after the bombing. So we go, hey, let's go down to the crime scene, see if we can get a, a gander inside, because this would be something historic to see. And so, you know, getting into crime scene is not that easy. So uh, we went down there and luckily one of the one of the guys, he's a bomb tech, uh, he was on uh, my old one a squad next to me. I knew him real well. And uh, it, that's kind of how I re- remember it. I could be totally, maybe it was somebody Rich knew, I can't remember. But the bottom line was, we sweet talked our way in. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and we, we got out and, uh, and if you can imagine a gigantic hole in a, in a, in a roughly a circular sphere underground make six or seven stories high and 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 in that in an equal distance wide and we walked out on some scaffolding that put us toward the center of the uh 
where the blast took place. And um, we could literally look straight up above us and see sky. The, the, there was a hole blown through the, the ceiling, or the, which would have been the, uh, the, the ground outside World Trade Center underneath the, uh, the uh, garage. That, that's how devastating that bomb was. And had they placed it in a different spot, it, maybe uh, it would have been worse. But the bottom line was is, is that was a tremendous explosion. And what people don't understand is how close they came to taking it down the first time. Yeah. And, and the guys that did it were like were like the forerunners of, of Al Qaeda. Yeah. And so uh, we didn't, you know, of course we weren't on Al Qaeda yet. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if they were called Al Qaeda. Yet, but they were. Yeah. But that was uh, that was us that night there inside the uh, the crime scene. So, and um, anyway, New York, like I said, we got pictures of the SWAT team. I think I've got a picture of um, uh, a couple of spots in New York. I think I was uh, standing on a street corner in, uh, God, no, Bed-Stuy. Yeah, in Bed-Stuy. See that uh, in New York Squad 9, C9, teachers Bed-Stuy photo. Um, I, it was it just, yeah. uh, you know, I remember standing out there. We had been out covering a lead out there. And I said, Rich, take my picture here. I said, this is, you know, I'm, under New- I'm on New York Avenue in Bed-Stuy. It is the heart of one of the worst neighborhoods in the city. It still is to this day. And just absolute a war zone. I mean, you look behind me, that's a burned out building, you know. And it's just, it's just nothing there. And you know what? I can't imagine New York's any better today than it, than it was then, Jesus. but uh, it's it's just it was just amazing work in that city. It was like a third world country in places. It was so, and you'd be in Manhattan, it'd be staggering wealth, and then you go out to the to the uh, the some of these neighborhoods, and it'd be it'd be third world poverty. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's incredible. So yeah. it's like that. Uh, uh, have you heard that saying that um, <clears throat> in the suburbs of Chicago and Detroit, they have a it's a, it's obviously bullshit, but it's like they have the highest rate of a of a recruiter success for the military because if you enlist and go deploy in Iraq, your life expectancy doubles. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably a truth of truth to that. Uh, when I was in, it was the all volunteer army in 1973, and um, they basically um, brought you know, got a lot of guys. A lot of guys I I was in with were, were guys who you know found this as their ticket out, mm-hmm. and the fact that they were willing to go in the service to get out and get some opportunity spoke highly of them. You know, yeah. so and they and they did they, a lot of some great guys. They just they, they just said, you know what, I I can't do this the rest of my life. You yeah. know, I've got to I got to make some changes. And they yeah. and they did. Yeah. Um, Jesus. But I was I was going to suggest um, uh, you asked me about Eric Rudolph, and I was going to I I was um, uh, or I, or did you? I think I think we were talk we may have touched upon that, but I was uh, going to the Nazi? mention. Pardon the Nazi. No, Eric Rudolph the. Um, uh, Olympic bomber, oh, the Olympic bomber. Yeah. Oh no, I was no, okay. No, I was thinking of um, okay, whoever that. Well, I was gonna, yeah. That was one of the well, that was one of our SWAT operations in '98. Okay. Um, was uh, early '98. That was before I went to Nairobi. But we had a we were looking for Eric Rudolph down in the hills of North Carolina when he was running around as a fugitive out there. Well, we were um, uh, <laughs> we got sent down there with a bunch of other teams. And we're basically gear up uh, military fashion and with our gear go out in the woods and, and do patrols, basically looking for this guy. Well, if you if you could see, could see the terrain and the vegetation, even in the dead of winter, this is February when I was there, 
it was impossible to find anyone. I mm-hmm. mean, you might run across some um, sign that something there, but he could have been hiding in a bush 10 foot from us. We wouldn't have seen it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what made it a little hairy. That's what we we're a little worried about that, you know, maybe he would figure out he'd take out a, uh, an agent or two. But when we got to thinking, we go, well, that would, that would reveal to us that he was definitely there. Mm-hmm. We figured if we cornered him, he might put up a fight. But I, we didn't think there was much chance he would take a pot shot at us. But yeah. uh, apparently uh, he admitted later that he did. Um, that's, uh, so I've heard. This is, this is, you know, just talk. But it's apparently in a book or something that he, uh, he actually did go to a spot overlooking the FBI command post and uh, think about taking out a, an FBI agent to make a statement, but he did not. Had some in our had a couple guys in his sights apparently. It wasn't me, but probably not. Probably. I guess uh, that's what the the story goes anyway. Um, but it, that was that that was in '98, and uh, then of course after that was the um, um, uh, the, uh, the, the 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 going to Ken, Kenyan uh, Nairobi for the bombing. Mm-hmm. So I've got a bunch of things written down here just in no particular order that just came to mind. I, I, you, you know what, you've given me a great opportunity to go through all my boxes of crap and sort things out, newspaper clippings and all that. And uh, I came across a couple things. Uh, you know, I was, I was talking, I, I was telling somebody a couple weeks back about how I was the champion of negative investigation. I would always prove something didn't happen. And um, uh, a lot of I, when I was in San Diego, that seemed to be the case a lot. Maybe it's because I was a new guy; I got the crappy cases. But the uh, but I would get kidnappings. You know, like a kidnapping. This woman claimed she was kidnapped and raped and all this stuff. Seventeen years old. You know, uh, go to interview her or something. Some just stinks about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Then she, you get a feel for people. You know, when they're telling the truth and when they're lying. <clears throat> And some are very good. So, you know, social pastor can't tell, but you know, it's it's been my experience that the, the people that are really they're they're innocent and they're and you're being accusing of something, they will get extremely extremely angry. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the the person who's guilty will will try to explain to you why you're wrong, and and that and that was always something that I always took with me. And and, and I remember interviewing this woman, and she. She didn't seem as distraught as someone who had been kidnapped and raped. Okay. Okay. So, bottom line, um, I, I was suspect. So, I, so long, long story short, I was able to, by my interviewing and following up on the things she told me, approved that, that was just total BS. Turned out she just wanted to hang out with a boyfriend and and uh, didn't want to come home and didn't want to tell her parents that she'd been hanging out with a boyfriend. You know, so that, and that's so, kind of crap. That's kind of crap that that she wasted federal resources on you know so na- naturally the uh, the logical step is accuse someone of kidnapping and rape <laughs> exactly exactly and that's how 17 year old girl thinks right okay so um and, and then i had a kidnap extortion case where another kidnapping where a guy was kidnapped and, and the wife got an ex- uh, demand letter to pay fifty thousand dollars and it was kind of like um Ruthless People, I think, was the name of the movie. It was where, where the, the the ransom demand kept getting negotiated down, and that's exactly what was going on here. We ended up negotiating it down to ten thousand dollars, which was kind of suspicious. But the uh, um, we 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 started to put together when we as the case unfolded, we started thinking, you know, this doesn't look right. Uh, yeah, it sounds like like maybe it's total BS. This could pro- this could very well be the guy himself trying to extort money yeah. as it turned out from his father, yeah. which is exactly where the money was going to come from. And, um, uh, we, we suspected he was trying to, cause he had tried to borrow money from his father. And his father said, no, 
So, well, what do you know? He got himself kidnapped. Now there's a Duranson man. Well, long story short, we uh, we worked the case. We, we set the drop up just like in the movies. You know, we set the package down. We got surveillance out. I remember I'm about eh, a couple hundred yards away looking through binoculars. I'm in some construction uh, uh, that's under construction, but a place under construction. And we got the SWAT team in the in the uh, woods and everything. We got most of us are at, dressed in plain clothes because most of the guys on our, our squad was or SWAT anyway, but we got him out there, and sure enough, here comes this guy. And I said, and as soon as I heard surveillance pick him up, say, "Now oh, here comes somebody walking there." I immediately got in my car and drove to the vicinity because I knew, I knew this was going to be the guy. And sure enough, uh, they they uh, they go back and forth, back and forth. And the boss says, "Yeah, take him down." So they they got him, and uh, he starts to run, and he runs right towards me. <laughs> And I'm, I'm on the one side of the chain like fence and he's on the other. And, um, uh, basically I, I, he, I, we stopped him. Uh, my buddy, Paul Grudek, uh, pulled him down, pulled him down with a shotgun. And I think, uh, Paul Vick came over and, uh, collared him and I was standing there holding him at gunpoint. I probably can't remember. I probably had my Smith of Western 459 at the time. That was the, the SWAT, SWAT issue weapon. It was a horrible gun, but it was, <laughs> but it was better than a revolver. <laughs> but, uh, the, uh, but that, that was like, so that turned out to be, uh, and he was a Navy guy. He was in the Navy. And one of the funniest parts about that was the people on the ship that he was assigned to must have had a good feeling for this guy because they didn't buy it either. Because <laughs> so he, they had, no, you remember back in the old days, you probably don't remember, but back used to, in the old days, you used to take milk cartons. And if there was a missing child, mm-hmm. they, they put the picture on the milk carton, right? Well, they were taking all the milk cartons on the ship and putting his picture on there. Have you seen me? You know, that's, this is before we arrested him. You know, this is the kind of gallows humor yeah. that, uh, you know, military police engage in all the time, you know? So, and it was kind of hysterical when we found out about it. I said, well, hell, these guys don't even think it's for real. So yeah. and I didn't feel so bad. Yeah. So, but, but, it, but that was very typical. I, I, these, those are the kind of cases I would often get. And, and, um, and they wouldn't always, it always amazed me that no matter what kind of case I'd get, the victim, no matter how innocent, never told us the complete truth. It was all, they always shaded the truth. They, they, not always, but, you know, uh, children generally don't, but got, adults always have an ulterior motive, it seems. And they're hiding something or they're embarrassed about something or whatever. And it's always something, a glitch that causes you problems in the investigation. And this, this, and these were kind of things that, that you have to sort through and, as an investigator. But every once in a while, I'd get an extortion that, that was legit. Like we had, we had some great extortions where did the drops and everything and made the, made the arrests and, you know, we're driving all around conducting surveillance, got, you know, uh, transmitters going and uh, trackers going, all kinds of stuff. It, it's just like in the movies, you know, and they are, they are amazing. They are an incredible piece of work that comes together. And, you know, once you basically, once you try to go for that package of money, there's just no way you're, you're going to get away. You're going to be found. So there's no way you can pick up that package of money. So, now, if you're going to have a wire to a Swiss bank account, something like that, yeah, it'll be a little more problematic, but we're still going to find you. Yeah. So it's just uh, somebody's got to come and take the money at some point. So mm-hmm. it's it, no matter how many times it gets transferred, it's going to end up somewhere <laughs> in somebody's account. And that's, and that's of course, where we go. What, but I wonder if you could do be, be like an altruistic kidnapper. If you could be like, you know, I want instead of like ten million dollars, like I want you to plant ten thousand trees, 
Well, <laughs> there have been people that required, you know, request crazy things. Yeah. Like, like that. A, yeah, there's a, you know, I want you to release my, my buddies from prison, things like that. Yeah. You know, there's, there's certainly that kind of stuff. You'd be like a Greenpeace um, terrorist. But, but yeah, they, it, this, that I had a, I had actual, um, I worked public corruption. I think one of the few convictions I ever got, you know, because I, I told you it was very difficult to, to work and, and to, um, to crack these cases. And, um, the one in particular I had was a, a city, a, a county councilman, county, uh, what do you call it? County council, council members, whatever. He was kind of like the chair and, um, commissioner. And, uh, he was running for reelection and, um, supposedly kind of, you know, a big shot in the small town, uh, rural community, rural county kind of like, but it was a small town. And he um, uh, extorted money from a guy who was doing a special investigation. He was a uh, uh, prosecutor with Clay County, Missouri. This is Cass County, Missouri. And um, he's doing a, this, this guy's down, been assigned by the state to be a special prosecutor to investigate corruption in the sheriff's office, which, you know, I was, that was involved working with him uh, for corruption to the sheriff's office. And um, uh, this guy was county commissioner. Now he was supposed to be working with us and he, you know, he was friendly. He was uh, cooperative, uh, but somewhere along the line, he had run for election uh, during the course of this investigation. And he approached this uh, attorney and said, if you want your contract renewed, you need to give me $5,000 uh, campaign contribution. Well, that's flat out extortion. I mean, it it's flat out extortion. He is not even a constituent, of course. And uh, he's he's looking at this going, I can't believe this guy's coming up me, a federal or a, I'm a state prosecutor for the state of Missouri, and he's he's extorting a bribe from me. Well, there were other people that he did this to as well, and um, uh, two of the people came forward, including this attorney was one of them, and they they brought the information to the FBI, and of course now my case, now my investigation spins off from the sheriff's office over to the county, and we end up uh, conducting this investigation. Of course, now I have two cooperating witnesses, and it was kind of like a Ku Klux Klan meeting back in the uh, back in the '60s when uh, three guys met uh, uh, for a Klan meeting. Two of them were FBI informants, and so and this was exactly what happened here. These guys met that we had passed the money to the guy, and now he's I. So then what I did was I, I went uh, my partner Jeff Harris and I went and did an interview of him, and of course he knows he, he what he did. And he is denying it, and he. But you can tell he is scared to death. Of course, we knew he wouldn't say anything. We doubted very much he'd say anything, but we wanted to plug him with the uh, the, the information that we suspected there was something going on that would stir him up, and that would generate more activity. Well, sure enough, he calls these two guys, and they say, "Hey, they say, hey, I want to meet." So we we go. They go to a a clandestine location, uh, uh, way way, but. Got to be 50 miles away from where uh, where he was living uh, to actually do this. Two counties up, but um, he ends up. They ends up meeting at a restaurant, and um, well, of course they they're in there. And of course, two of these people in here are wired, and and uh, and one and one was wearing a transmitter. So I'm listening in my car. Plus they're recording the. And this was back in the old days when you had to have a transmitter that would work and then you had to have a recorder that would work and recorders were tapes mm -hmm. and that's those little they called them nagras there those the manufacturer they were very they were eh, a little bigger than bigger than a cell phone uh like a, a very tiny uh i don't know i wouldn't say a 
pad, tablet, but they're very, they weren't small, but you had to hide these things, okay? So I have both my uh, sources in there and uh, Jeff and I are outside listening in the car, what's going on? And some clown pulls up, we're in a pizza hut next door. And uh, well, some clown pulls up, we're trying to listen, it's kind of scratching and we're, cause we're looking for the code word. When, when he passes the money over to him, that's when we're going to come in and take them down. Okay. So, um, so it's very important. We can hear this. So, uh, some clown pulls up in a car with a stereo blasting next to me. Okay. And I'm like, I can't believe, well, he, you know, I'm, I'm listening. I figured, well, he get out of, you know, and then, and then it'll be quiet again. Well, he got out and somehow he got out and left his car, turned his car off, but the, the stereo kept blasting. Well, I, I see him get up and he started to walk in. I jump out of the car. I said, Hey, you gonna turn that on? And he goes, F you, you know, like, well, and I, <laughs> I, you know, I don't want to leave the car. Yeah. So I, I, I go, I go, I, I looked at it. I'll get back, I get back in the car. I go, Jeff, go reach over and turn that shit off, you know? And so he goes over and turns it on. And, um, it's funny. Jeff is, Jeff is a first office agent, in Kansas City, uh, not relatively new. He, he had been there a couple of years. I'm a senior guy coming in from New York. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm kind of, you know, Everybody knows guys from New York have rough edges. Well, he's about to find out how rough. So um, this guy comes back outside now with his pizza. And he, he notices his car, music's not playing anymore. And he looks at me, he goes, did you get, did you get my car? Did you, did you turn my music off? Did you get my car? And I had, by this time, I have had, okay. So I jump out of that car. Now he doesn't know who I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I jump yeah. out of that car. And I start coming at him. I, I said, and I'm reading him the riot act as I, and I'm, I'm, and he's looking at me like, my God, this guy is crazy. And he gets, he couldn't get in that car fast enough to get out of there. So I, I, you know, I, I, I pushed him all the way in the car or, you know, backed him all the way in the car to the point where I was on the other side of my car. He drives away. I'm standing there, you know, yelling at him all the way out. <laughs> Don't ever come back here. Whatever. The- <laughs> and he, he had, I had him walking back, getting in the car and I sit down and I, I'm listening, like, you know, and, and uh, Jeff looks at me, he says, Don, you were in New York way too long. Ago. <laughs> I, said, I said, you know what, this would have been typical for New York, you know, typical for New York. So now, can, anyway, in a situation, in a situation like that, I mean, do you do you risk like flashing your your badge? Oh, I, it wouldn't have been well, like I if it got ugly, um, uh, you, I, the best thing to, would have been to defuse it. Best thing we do is just let him go. Maybe us change position someplace. But we had found this spot yeah. that was the best reception, you know. Yeah. Because last thing I want to do is get in a brawl with this guy, you yeah. know, because I'm in the middle of this. So, oh, and then he, you know, he calls the cops on us, and you know that kind of, you know, you can see how it could escalate out of control. I, I, I learned that the hard way, you know. You just, you just. You got to let you got to turn the other cheek. So um, this time I did and it worked out. But the bottom line is um, it, it we, we, get, we get back in the car. Now we're trying to resume listening and um, we hear the code word and then we go in and, and we we don't. Now we're not arresting because uh, we don't have a warrant. OK, uh, we we went in, but we're going to and it's a white collar case. We don't generally arrest people for white collar. We we give them summons to appear. OK. So this guy's a this guy's not a flight risk, um, but as it turned out, he was a different kind of risk. We go in there and we I, we confront them, and of course he this guy comes apart at the seams, and um, he's supposed to be a tough guy, right? Well, no, 
not really. He's a, he was probably a bully is what he was, but he, uh, he came apart. I mean, I, he was so bad. I took him outside. I said, you got to pull your shit together. Okay. You're, you're, uh, you're, you know, I'm not going to arrest you. Not yet. Yeah. Okay. But I said, but I said, you have got to, you got, you got some, you know, things. I didn't read him his rights or anything. Yeah. Cause I'm not going to arrest him. He's not in custody. I said, I said, look, I'm not going to arrest you. You're free to go home. I said, but we're going to talk again. In fact, you're going to, you're going to meet, you're going to get your attorney. You're going to come to our office. And you're going to talk to us. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to have a little sit down. And he is like, you know, he, now he's threatening to kill himself. And I go, Oh no. <laughs> so when, he, when somebody says something like that, you can't dismiss it. Yeah. Okay. So I look at my partner, Jeff, we're standing there. I'm going, I got to take this guy home and give him to his wife. I got to take him home. There's no way I can let this guy get in the car and go drive himself into a concrete embankment or sure. or get home and kill himself or something like that, just in case he was serious. So I'm going off for Pete's sake. So I get, I take him in his car. I put him in his car. And it was sports cars, I think. And I, so I'm driving. Now this is, from a tactical standpoint, it's not a great idea because I'm driving because I have to, because I'm going to let him drive. Yeah. And he's sitting in the passenger seat and I didn't handcuff him. And, um, I'm thinking, I'm looking at him going, well, if he gets, if he gets froggy on me, you know, he's, he's older than I am. I can, I can take him out, mm-hmm. you know, with my hands if I have to, yeah. he's not going to be that big a problem. So I'm not that worried about him. And, and plus I, I was on a, I was on kind of, well, I actually, I, I, I kind of thought, well, myself, I can, if he makes any spontaneous comments, I can use those against him. But I didn't, I did so, but I, but I made sure that I didn't ask him anything about the case. I just let him talk. And I just kept telling him, hey, it's going to be all right. You're going to, you're going to get to go through the system, though, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Jeff took my car and he followed me down. And we took him home all the way back to, to Cass County. It was like an hour and a hour drive or something like that, all the way back. And then we had to drive all the way back, you know, to the city and uh i i knock on his door it's like now by now it's almost midnight and um his wife answered the door on her robe and pajamas and said you know we told her what happened you can imagine her reaction you know so we go in and first thing i say is okay do you have any firearms in the house and i told her why i wanted to to i want to confiscate those firearms temporarily because he, because of what things he said, and you know what he did, he had a gun and a Beretta 380, and I said I'll be taking that, and uh, we will have this in temporary custody. When um, down the road, you can you can certainly come back and get this tomorrow if you want, but you but I don't I want to I have to take I have to take custody of this tonight because of the things he said. Do you understand? They said yes. Yeah. So I took the gun. <clears throat> it wasn't evidence or anything. I just took it for safekeeping, and then um, as it turns out. He pled. We got uh, we got a conviction. Not no. It was a, it was a ground ball, but I got a big award for that case because it was uh, it preceded the takedown of the Missouri Speaker of the House, and we took down the Missouri Speaker of the House. One of my uh, squad mates was doing that, so it was a bam, bam, bam. We hit. We did like three cases in a row. So I got a, I got a big award for that case, but it was, uh, it was just an extortion case is what it was. And, and my boss says, you know, you got a flair for public corruption. I go, Oh, come on, Bob, don't get kidding me. This is just an extortion case. Is all it was, I can do these stand on my head. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, that was, that was an extortion that actually occurred, you know? So, uh, <clears throat> the, um, we, we, um, 
we kind of had, we, it was kind of a mixture. I, I like I said, I always gravitated towards violent crime because of the kind of cases we, we, we were, yeah. they were fast paced. Generally speaking, they were, uh, there was a lot of action. There was a, you're dealing with some real bad characters. Most of the time, um, you're making arrests, you're going to court, you're testifying in court. You're, uh, you know, swearing out arrest warrants. I mean, it's, it's got everything you want. It's, it's, it is a just fast paced action driven, but the hours were killer. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're like, uh, drugs were pretty bad too, but drugs kind of had a schedule. It was usually uh, late mornings to late night. Okay. Uh, violent crime was basically, uh, we were around the clock is it was around the clock because even if we, even if we, we arrested somebody and late at night, we were done. We had to get up the next day and transport this guy somewhere or throw out warrants or whatever. So it turned out, you know, we were working with very little sleep a lot of time. But it, but it was such such fun. And the guys that went to that squad and worked that stuff were the A-type personalities, hard chargers. And because if you weren't, you didn't last long. Okay, then we'd burn you out. Mm-hmm. So but the guys who really loved it, with guys like me and others like me, like me, okay. We loved it. We lived it. We breathed it. We 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 loved every minute of it. It was it was exciting, and it was uh, adrenaline dump all, mm-hmm. all the time. We we loved it. So it was kind of a and the cases had great impact because they were violent crime. They're really victims, you know, at the other end of these things, and it, it's a great feeling to take care of somebody, put them in jail, uh, and then do something for a victim and try to give them some justice. So it was a it was a great great uh, uh, stuff to work. I mean, mm-hmm. the, all the Criminal investigations are like that. However, the they violent crime was, you know, by its nature, it was very fast-paced, very action-oriented. So we had a, we had a great time working. And I always worked on squads with guys who were that kind of personality. And when you got guys like that working together, there's not much you can't accomplish. Mm-hmm. So it's because everybody's, yeah, let's get the job done, okay? You know, whatever it takes, let's do it. So those are the kind of things that that uh, I take away from me. I mean, uh, that the uh, uh, you know I work fugitives in New York, which is under the violent crimes umbrella. <clears throat> but we had a, there in New York, there was a, a whole squad that they called it the bank robbery squad, C nineteen, and, and they were the premier squad in the office. Mm-hmm. I was on C nine, <clears throat> which was fugitives, and the bank robbery squad was man. They were you name it. You know, dog day afternoon, you know, that was the, that squad, that was the squad that was out there handling that, you know, in that movie, uh, there's a, the stuff was, you know, armored car robberies, bank robberies, all kinds of stuff like that. And that's what we had on our squad. You know, any, uh, we had a lot of bank robberies, uh, in San Diego, God, we had bank robberies every, so we'd have several a day. We had six in one day one time in, in San Diego because there were so many banks, Yeah, but in Kansas city was quite that bad. We've had two or three in one day. But that was the most I remember. But but we had banks robberies on a regular basis. They'd go in spurts because we'd end up locking these guys up. We'd catch them, lock them up, and that would kind of cool it down for a while. But then a new group would come along and they'd start up and and it kept us going. So we, you know, we, we're all we're all about, you know, chasing these guys down and locking them up. Um I was also gonna mention um these some a couple fugitive cases we had. A bank robbery case, before I get the fugitive case, I'll mention the bank robbery case. Had a, um, it, had, it had just about everything in it. It was a long story short, and it's going to be difficult. But there was a, this group before, of guys, three guys. Before you start the story, you go let, let, let me go guess. pee. Let me go pee. I don't, I don't want to get – but I was going to say I had on Ed Morales, the guy in the FBI shootout in Miami. Yes. And I remember him mentioning that. He said that 
he was like, yeah, there are times where we're having multiple bank robberies a day. And in my mind, yeah. I was like, I I don't know if I believe that. But now you're going, yeah, no, multiple, it's yeah. just like, Jesus, yeah. so sometimes it just takes off. Same thing in Florida. They got banks everywhere. So they're like 7-Elevens. You know, people rent, just rob them all the time. Bastards. You know? All right. Anyway, well, I'll <laughs> set this up while Mo- you're going. Monologue. <laughs> <laughs> you really need to get that checked. I know. <laughs> anyway, um, Blue Springs, Missouri. I was working bank robberies and a bank there. Had three guys go in. And uh, it's funny, I was just going through the newspaper clippings again, but it was it was uh, it was crazy. Uh, three guys go in and they rob the place. It's called a takeover robbery, where you go in and you go everybody on the floor. You know, uh, it's just like uh, raising Arizona. Everybody freeze, everybody on the floor. But what is, which is it you want us to do, young fella? Well, these guys they basically came in and took over the place. Okay, and uh, they. Uh, they seem to know exactly where to go. Now, this is a small bank, okay? But based on the video we watched and they, the, the testimony of the witnesses, they seem to know there was no hesitation. They seem to know exactly where to go and what to do. It was well-planned. Uh, it was clear they had excellent intelligence. Uh, so they knew uh, exactly where to go and who to go to and and where to stand and, and all sorts of things like that. Just little things we, we picked up watching this. So right away when you see that, you suspect an inside job. Uh, and that, we'll get to that in a minute. <clears throat> but as they were going into the place to rob it, um, the, uh, an off-duty police officer was at the ATM. And uh, he and his wife, I, I believe, if I remember, they were both police officers. And uh, he and his wife were, and one was in the car, one was at the ATM. And they see a car pull up, three guys get out, and they put on masks as they, as they in, the, in the car, and then they get out and they, they go run to the bank. Well, in, in law enforcement circles, we call that a clue, okay? And so as a result, they, they, uh, they go in, they rob the bank, they go, well, now the last thing they want to do is, is, is create a problem. So they, they, they pull out of the parking lot, go across the street, set up a vantage point, get on, I think they got on their cell phones. I don't think they had radios. This is back in the uh, 90s, I think, late 90s, maybe. Cell phones were around, I think. But <clears throat> one way or another, they got a hold of dispatch. They said, hey, bank robbery in progress. Uh, three three black males, uh, you know, there we go, bring the cavalry. So, yeah. so they're, 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 they're being great eyewitnesses, okay? So they're, they're seeing everything and they're reporting the activity. They stayed on the line to dispatch. So police officers roll up and they, they block the intersections out in front of the uh, uh, bank a little bit to the, you know, to the uh, east and a little bit to the west. Not, so you don't really see them when you come out of the bank. And, uh, but they, these guys pile in the car and, uh, they, and they take off. And as they, they take off, one of the officers is pulling right up and he pulls right up and jumps out and he, and he leans over the hood of his car with his gun and, and yells for him to stop. And of course, they, they just blow right by and they all open up and shoot at him as he's as they uh, drive by and they spin they go uh down the frontage road along the freeway going on west and then they and there and there they they uh, almost run into another police officer and um and, and they they go uh <laughs> they go back to the south then back 
uh, east again and onto the freeway. And then the chase is on. The entire Blue Springs Police Department is now chasing them down I-70 from Blue Springs, Missouri, which is a eastern suburb of Kansas City Metro. And they're heading where they always go, straight back to Kansas City. Okay, it's it's just a, it's it's crazy. And everybody runs back to Kansas City. <clears throat> I think they figure they get lost in in the big city if they're not from there. It turns out these guys are all from there. But um, so the, the chase is on, and there's you know there's there's cop cars chasing them, and these guys are try, trying to shoot the tires out of a semi to cause an accident. Jesus, they're um, and they're and they and they had stolen this car for the getaway car it was an old beater Caprice, you know, which was very easy to steal. I guess that's why they always stole them. And um, but uh, they picked the wrong car this time. This car was not up for a, for a police chase. Okay. So as um, as they got eh, maybe five miles down the road, maybe oh, maybe less than that, maybe three, they uh, started developing engine trouble. They had thing overheated, and basically, you know, they can't. <clears throat> the car is going to shut down. The engine shut down, yeah. and so it, they end up coasting to a stop. But that, then they start bailing out. Okay, and the cops are right behind, them, and they're bailing out. And one, uh, they actually one of them takes a shot at the. Now he's a fleeing felon. They had fired a police officer. They are running. It is perfectly legal to shoot them in the back. Okay. <laughs> and it is exact because these guys are a danger to the community. Yeah. So they uh, they have made that clear. So they, one of the officers pulls up and he unloads with a shotgun. Okay. And back then, the Blue Springs PD uses number four buckshot. That'll come in. Uh, that's important later. Number four is not very big. Okay. okay. So uh, they, but they run, they run into this field, but there's one guy, it turns out to be the ringleader. He was a hardened murdering criminal. I'm telling you, but he had these baggy pants on. Okay. And he's running his pants keep falling down and they're trying to carry the money and their guns. And, you know, eventually they end up losing everything. They were <laughs> the money, the guns. And he, and, and he, cause he couldn't keep his, he couldn't hold on to his pants and all his stuff at the same time. And so when he fell down, the others kept going. The cops were able to grab him, okay? And now the other two are, are now fugitives, and where the manhunt goes on. Now, there's a difference between a fugitive. Fugitive, somebody's been charged, and and now we're looking for him. This is a manhunt, okay? This is uh, – now we're looking for somebody uh, on the hot – this hot pursuit and after a crime. So, we well, we, we get – of course, we get called out because of the bank robbery. Now I roll out there and – I'm helping with the manhunt, and eventually we find these guys. Mm-hmm. They had crawled into a storm drain, and uh, they had that had emptied into the Blue uh, River. They had crawled, they jumped in the Blue River, a small, it's like a creek, uh, but it's deep, it's like chest deep, and they waded across, got into a storm drain, and then started crawling through it. As they crawled through the storm drain, well, if you know anything about storm drains, they're big at the outlet, and they're small at the inlet, okay? And they're going towards the inlet. So, Everything kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller until the point they're on their hands and knees crawling through this storm drain. Eventually, they see a little, it's pitch dark, okay? And they, they see a little daylight. So they they crawl up this. They find themselves looking out into the parking lot of an adjacent mall parking lot, okay? Now, these guys, you can imagine what you look like after crawling through a river and through a storm drain. One of these guys decides to get up out of there and crawl out and go in and get some, buy some clean clothes and then come out, change their clothes, and then just kind of dis- just, the plan was just to blend in, okay, and walk away and call their friends or whatever to come and get them. 
Meanwhile, everybody's looking for him. Well, one of the they go. This guy goes in the mall. He looks like he's been drugged through a knot hole, yeah. and um, uh, he's soaking wet, muddy, muddy, you know. And like, so he attracts attention. An off-duty cop who's working security sees him. He goes. He knew about the bank robbery, and he immediately calls the police. He says, "Hey, just just not for nothing, but <laughs> just if you're not busy." <laughs> That's right. So he says, "I might have one of these guys." So. The cops roll in. They take him into custody. They haul him out. <clears throat> and the other guy, you know, seeing that the, the, the jig is up, you know, he basically surrendered. He was tired. He was beat. He just said, now they got, they got, they got the first guy. They got Ronnie. They got Quincy. Now I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and give up too. So they, he gave up and uh, they, they uh, immediately took him in all down the Blue Springs Police Department. So I get, I roll up and they put um, Quincy Shelton into my car. So I put him back in my Suburban, and uh, uh, I take him down with one of the other officers down to the police station, We and then we take him in interrogation room to start interrogation. So long story short, he's uh, uh, denying it. He says, no, I just, I fell in a puddle. You know, just ridiculous, ridiculous story. Yeah. Didn't make any sense. Of course, we know. And, and it, it, it didn't matter if they knew you knew. Mm-hmm. It 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 did. They were just going to stand there and tell you the sky is green. It it is is it's, it's hilarious. Well, we went on back and forth. Myself and a, a Blue Springs detective went back and forth with him for a while, and finally, I just pulled something out of my ass. I just said, I said, look, I said, you know about the FBI laboratory and all the stuff that we can do. I can prove you didn't fall down in the puddle. I can prove that you you were in the Blue River, and you know why I can prove that. I said, because, you know, you look around the Blue River, there's all these crops and the fields and, you know, there, there's sort of soil mm-hmm. and all that. And there's, there's everything that's adjacent to that field. When it rains, all that stuff, all those molecules and the, and the, uh, and all yeah. basically yeah, yeah, all yeah. the things, the, the, um, sediment. Uh, the sediment and the fertilizers, all that goes into the Blue River. And, Whatever was in is in the Blue River. Whatever's in those fields in the Blue River, and whatever's in the Blue River is on your clothes you're wearing right now. Yeah. So when you before when you go in when we leave here, I'm taking your clothing and I'm sending it to the FBI lab, and we're gonna have it analyzed. And you know what? It's gonna be a match for the Blue River. Yeah. And and the surrounding uh, uh, environment. Now, how are you gonna explain that? You gonna stick to this puddle story? And he looks at me like, "All right, you got me." Yeah, fuck. <laughs> Just like, eh. eh. And afterwards, the detective looks at me and he says, can you guys really do that? I go, hell if I know. Fuck if I know. (laughs) I mean, but you know what? That's... You probably they, could. It's an organic I think, fingerprint. I, I sound like it's not like you probably could probably put something like that together. But hell yeah, we just do, just we lie. Can match, yeah. uh, we can match dirt off shoes, you know. Yeah. So well, anyway, so this guy starts to confess. And he tells me the whole thing. And of course, I'm telling him that his partner is confessing, which he, he was yeah. um, as well. So we were, hopefully we'll get the straight scoop. So he's telling me about it. The whole, you know, and, and, um, uh, and we find out there was a woman involved, too, that, that, he, that we didn't know who existed. She was kind of a getaway. She was going to be the switch car driver. Okay. So when they got their getaway car, they're only going to drive that like several blocks away. Then they're going to get into a switch car. Well, they never made it to the switch car because the police were up in their ass, right? So... They and, and um, they they said they remember flying by a switch car and and she was sitting there in the car and watching the car rate the police go by. So <clears throat> he continues to tell the story about how when they're on the freeway, 
they're firing, the police are firing at them, or, or they're, they're firing at the, the tires on the truck and trying to blow them out and, and a lot of self-serving information. But the bottom line was that he says, uh, then we got out and we ran across the field and that's when I got shot. And I said, what? And he goes, yeah, I got shot. He goes, I said, you got shot? And I'm looking, there's some blood on his shirt, but I thought it was from crawling through the bushes and everything, right? And there's not a lot of blood, but it was like, a, like you would get from a, being stuck by a stick, you know, and, and, not, and then didn't address it sure. and dried, just clotted and that kind of thing. It was right, uh, right around his neck here, uh, um, right up here. And um, I said, well, where'd you get shot? He goes, well, right here. He says, where the blood is. He said, right back there someplace. So I pulled out a shirt. Sure enough, there's a little tiny hole where a pellet went into his uh, trapezoid right here and uh, didn't penetrate very far because I think it was uh, the, the distance was just too far for those pellets. Okay. And he said, I said, well, you really did get shot. He goes, yeah, I got hit in the ass too. I said, what? He says, yeah. And so I said, pull down your pants. This guy's a big fat guy, right? Yeah. So he pulls down his pants and sure enough, there's a, a hole in his butt too. And and then there's a, a you know there's blood in his in his underwear and all that stuff and I'm going, well, I guess this interview's over because I wasn't finished talking to him, but I, I can't I have to give this guy some medical attention. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so I said, well, okay, we're going to stop the interview for now. I got enough, you know, so I could come back and you know re-interview him. Um, so we took him. We had to take him to the hospital, and they, they had to pluck those pellets out. You know, yeah. And uh, but it. It, it was basically this guy was it turns out and, and now I'll skip to the end of it. We uh, end up going. We, we end up getting a, a plea deal. Um, let's see how'd that go? We pled that those two got the two younger guys pled, and they weren't you know they weren't hardened criminals. They were two you know dumbasses that got pulled into uh, a bank robbery by this guy Ronnie Green, who was a hardened criminal murderer. Uh, armed robber, been in and out of prison, I don't know how many times. He was pushing 40 years old. Mm -hmm. And this guy was just a thug of the highest order. And he talked these two young guys into doing this. So he was the guy we're really after. And luckily, he had committed three felonies, violent felonies. Under federal statute, that makes you eligible for life in prison. And so that's what we, we did. We locked this son of a bitch up for the rest of his life. He's still in prison. Jesus. And because uh, he had killed somebody, he got away with it. He intimidated the witnesses. Yeah, we can't prove it. But that's that's the, that was the story on the street. And the other two guys, you know, they, of course, they cooperated with us. They kept telling us about this woman. Well, turns out one of the employees <clears throat> got fired just uh, two weeks before the robbery. And um, long story out why she got fired, I don't recall exactly, but she got fired and uh, she was not happy apparently. And she uh, told this green guy that, uh, you know, uh, you know, I know a bank you could rob, you know, and then that, that's what led to it. And that's why they knew their way around. And so we would now we have to go after her because, you know, we got this information. Now we got to put a case together. So I did. We and myself and my squad. We put we uh, we put the case together, and we're this is going to be a tough one. And I was working with a crackerjack uh, uh, U.S. attorney, a, a deputy. He was the deputy United States attorney at the Western District of Missouri, named Matt Withworth, who is uh, unfortunately passed on here uh, recently. Not not very old. A great guy. He was a federal judge uh, before he died, but he was a great guy solid guy you better not hope he's after you yeah. because you are going to jail and uh, we he looked at me and goes this is gonna be a tough one 
because uh, we don't have any. We've got eyewitnesses, uh, you know, but they're they could be, you know, they're they're criminals. And he said uh, no physical evidence really. I said we're basically going to have to hang everything on on this. He said we got a lot of circumstantial evidence that I was able to put together, but nothing big. So we had a long story short, <clears throat> we ended up going to trial on her, and she maintained her innocence to the very end. And to the point where I'm listening, I'm listening to her in court, and I'm going, I'm kind of daydreaming. I go, God, I wonder if she, maybe she's innocent. I then I go, wait a minute, <laughs> I, I know what happened. I said, this, there's no way. So she was pretty convinced, but she ended up getting convicted. And she, I don't think she ever did it. And uh, but she did. She went to jail for about seven years. Okay, as a bank robbery conspiracy. So that, but that was the kind of stuff. Those are kind of bank robbery cases that. We had in you know San Diego, New York, Kansas City. Didn't matter. All over the country, these uh, these things happen, and uh, some of them are really crazy, and then some of them are just some guy passing a note to a teller saying, "Hey, give me uh, give me your money," that kind of thing. So um, those are the ones that generally aren't violent. Those are the ones that you just give them the money and let them go because it you just it's better. It's not it's not worth getting yourself killed over. So mm-hmm. just give them the money and let them go. But anyway. Um, now, I can go into some future cases if you like. Yeah. Okay. Um, futures are funny because, you know, you got guys who were wanted. A lot of times they, they know they're wanted. That makes them a little more tricky to get. Uh, sometimes they don't know they're wanted and uh, they get arrested. But they but guys, uh, we would go after uh, <clears throat> how the FBI gets involved in fugitives is, if you commit a federal crime, you become a and you don't and you get an arrest warrant issued. You're a federal fugitive. Generally, if you're a DEA fugitive, DEA goes after you. If you're an FBI fugitive, FBI will go after you. Um, or the marshals. The marshals do a great deal of federal fugitives, but the FBI likes to do their own and uh, DEA to some degree. But I think what DEA does after a while, they'll give it to the marshals, and that's what they do. And so, um, uh, so we have this uh, back and forth all the time with um, the, the uh, marshals about who's going to do what federal fugitives, you know. But we always work it out, uh, at least at our level. The bosses always fight, but we we always got along great with the uh, rank and file marshals and and all the law enforcement officers. The old turf battles that you hear about, yeah, that happens sometimes up at the upper levels, mm-hmm. but among uh, street agents and officers we don't we don't have those problems i mean mm-hmm. he'll run into a jerk every once in a while but uh, uh most time we just want to get the bad guy in jail you know yeah. so um <clears throat> one of these uh one of these cases um well i i i, I back up how one of, one of the big things we do in the fbi is called ufap unlawful flight to avoid prosecution or ufac unlawful flight to avoid confinement these were come these the statutes were developed back in the 30s when we had all the gangsters going interstate they're wanted for a bank robbery in indiana and they flee to missouri and now you know how are we going to get them we got to call the missouri police departments to go out and do it and you know depending on how many guys they had how good they were how much uh, time they had you know it just it was very difficult to get these guys captured that's why these gangsters would just go interstate yeah. and there wouldn't be any way to stop them Enter the FBI federal registration. Say it's illegal to go across state lines uh, if there's a warrant for your arrest. So that gives us federal jurisdiction. So, but 
you'll never get prosecuted for unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. It is or confinement because it's simply a vehicle to allow the FBI to assist local law enforcement and state law enforcement in, a, <clears throat> in apprehending their fugitives. <clears throat> Excuse me. When uh, they don't have the resources. Mm. Man. <clears throat> <clears throat> Man, it's getting dry in here. <laughs> Get a very good Jack. It's not a Jack Daniel. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, that's a little better. <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> you're good. Do you need to take a minute? Just a <laughs> Water went down the wrong pipe. This is as bad as you going to the bathroom. <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah, they're making me got a cough. <clears throat> okay, I think that's better. Yeah, that's better. Anyway. So what happens is we arrest these guys, then they uh, <clears throat> they end up uh, we dismiss, dismiss the violation. We turn them over to the uh, state authorities and then they prosecute them, uh, you know, accordingly. <clears throat> so we would get these cases all the time. The the uh, the police done in, in Kansas City we had a task force. Same thing in New York, uh, where we had detectives from NYPD in New York, or in the case of Kansas City, <clears throat> Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas City, Kansas, and um, uh, Johnson County, Kansas, which is a, a, a suburb. And then <clears throat> off and on, we've had detectives from Missouri Probation Parole, Kansas Probation Parole, um, <clears throat> Independence Police Department, the U.S. Marshals. We've had all sorts of different people on our task force. But those, those were the first ones, or the main ones that have always been on it. Mm-hmm. But but we've had that our, our task force expanded, you know, up and down, going up and down, depending on uh, budgets, basically. And one of the, one of the uh, and so as a result, we get a we got the detective, like say, uh, <clears throat> one of our Larry, one of our Kansas City, Kansas detectives, he would come over and say, "Hey, I got this murder warrant, and uh, we're gonna, you know, I think I know, um, I got some leads. Where this guy might be, so off we go. We'll cover these leads, and you know, we get maybe we develop information that he's staying at a particular house, so we go over and surveil the house, and then set up to hit it early in the morning. <clears throat> then we come back, you know, before it gets light, and we go um, um, knock on the door, and um, and say, you no, know, say, you know, is so and so here, you know, and uh, and they'd say, and here's and here's what I always love. Now, if somebody knocks on their door and says, knocks on your door, said, Tommy, is Don here? You're going to say, he ain't here. Why would he be here? Right? Because he's not here. Yeah. But here's what they say. Here's what they always say. They go, he don't live here. <laughs> that's, that's not what I asked you. Not what I asked. I asked you if he was there. And as soon as they say that, we know he's there. Yeah. Okay? So we just go, yeah, he's here. So, <clears throat> they, you know, what they'll do is they'll, they'll, they'll go back and forth with you. They'll say, he don't live here. You know, so, well, we got information he's here. No, 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 he he don't live here. They won't say he's not there. Sometimes they will, but most of the time, they'll go back and forth with you like that. And that's, that kind of gives us a clue the guy is there. Is there a benefit to them not saying he's not here? Like well, In their mind. In their mind, they think, well, they're not lying because yeah. they're not saying anything that's not true, right? Well, we know. We know the game. So we what we'll do is we'll pull them out of the house. They step out here a minute. Yeah, because the guy's probably inside, so we got the house surrounded, and that's when we start talking to the guy and say, "Look, since it's a third party residence, we cannot go in, yeah. okay, and get him because it's a third party residence." Say, "Look, here's the deal. You know, we say we're gonna, we're gonna, we think he's there. 
we we think you're lying to us and we're not going anywhere until we confirm he's not here mm -hmm. so what we're going to have to do is we're going to go get a search warrant and then we're going to come back in and we're going to tear your house apart until we find him and say and then by this time they're going no 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 you don't have to do that you know then they'll, they'll go he's, he's in the back room or something like that they'll let us know okay sometimes they do sometimes they don't but eventually we got to get consent to go in so they they'll say <clears throat> so we always say so do we have your consent to search and uh, and they'll say yes or, you know and then and they'll say yeah go ahead you know because a lot of times say i'm telling you he, he ain't here go ahead and of course he is there well they, they've hidden him real well okay so we'll go in and we'll search and we'll generally nine times out of ten we're going to find him there have been cases where we have gone in and searched and did not find him but he was and there. we went back and found him he was there what do you do for that is that what thermal thermal imaging they infrared no uh source information usually that's usually all good old-fashioned gumshoe stuff just put some tear gas but in it, the hvac yeah we'd go back and we'd, we'd contact the the information the source of information and say hey uh couldn't find him. they thought no he was there and he's still there because they think he stays there now and so we go back again and say hey yeah. come on out here a minute hey you know he was there last time we know we, now we know he lied to us and, and you know what he let us search once he goes, sure, go ahead, search again. And we go in this time, we we, we find it. We tear the place apart mm -hmm. and we find him. He's hiding in the headboard of the vet. And then we found him there. Or up in the, uh, somebody put him, <laughs> somebody put this guy inside a folding couch <laughs> and closed him up and put him in there. So I said, man, if I had gone down, I'd have come up and just sat down on that thing. <laughs> But as it turns out, and we find people hide in the damnedest places, you know, and they as I say they always run to the basement or the attic. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> we would flush them out of the attic of the bank basement all the time. But then we have to it's dangerous. You had to stick your head up in an attic when somebody with a gun might be up there. Yeah. Not a good thing. They might want to just go out fighting. Right. And, and same way, going down into a basement, you know, it's very hard to go down a basement head first. You have to you have to go down feet first. So we would take mirrors and, and kind of mirror the place and. And um, I was pretty good at always finding them, and I was—I had the—I had the self-control not to go berserk when I found them hiding. I had um, <clears throat> because what I—that is, if if they didn't know I found them, a lot of times they'll hide, and they'll—and you may see them hiding, but they—they—they they, uh, they don't know you've seen them. They know you're out there, and they know they're look you're looking, but they don't know you're seeing. And you kind of, you know, you you kind of judge that based on the situation. So I like I'll look over a, around a corner or over a piece of furniture and I'll see a piece of, you know, flannel shirt sticking out, you know, and that and then I and I like that. What I like to always do is just <clears throat> if I see that I go, hmm, OK, there he is. So <clears throat> I just back up and then I'll go, everybody, hey, right there, there he is. And so we'd all just make a semicircle around it and then tell him, come on out. And if he didn't come out, well, then we'd pull the furniture away or whatever the case may be. But I, I found so many people that way, and I found people completely naked hiding in uh, behind a hot water heater. You know, just and uh, we always had a, a rule: you you ride like you hide. So if it's the middle of winter and you're hiding in your skivvies, you're going in your skivvies, and uh, we might throw a blanket around you. But that's yeah. about it. You're get, but you know, why, what, why should why should we have to be? Why do we have to get you dressed? Okay? Yeah, I don't know, that's not part of the deal. So. But we, uh, uh, there was some exceptions to that. But there, <clears throat> generally speaking, especially if you give us a hard time, yeah, you're going, you're going just how we found you. Yeah, you get handcuffed, you go in the back seat of a nice warm police car. So, but 
we had we had a lot of suicides. Mm-hmm. We'd have um, uh, we'd go in and we'd get a guy cornered, and rather than give up, he'd kill himself. Yeah. And I don't know. I I I think we had. I can remember at least when I was running the task force or on the task force, we had at least a half dozen suicides. Jeez. And um, where we had corner guys and uh, they wouldn't come out, they just end up killing themselves. Because they, these, remember, these are all violent criminals. These are so people wanted for murder, life in rape, prison, uh, child abuse, uh, or child molestation or rape or something like that, and uh, armed robbery. And, and uh, they don't want to go back to prison. <clears throat> and so, we have guys that would, would uh, rather kill themselves. I, one play, one time in, in particular, I got a couple of them. I remember distinctly. Um, we got a guy holed up in uh, Kansas City, Kansas, and he's wanted um, for murder. Killed his girlfriend and her boyfriend, I believe. And uh, uh, we went, we went to the crime scene the, the next day uh, and looking for him. It was one of the addresses, <laughs> and there was still blood all over the place. Yeah. And, uh, and, when, and within a few days, we developed some information. He was hiding at his new girlfriend's house, okay? So we uh, go over there, and um, it was classic. We knock on the door. Of course, we got we – got, we're, we're like a miniature SWAT team. Sure. We have everything SWAT has, except we don't get dressed up in helmets and, and uh, black uniforms. We have body armor. Uh, we have uh, mirrors. We have uh, uh, breaching material gear. We have uh, um, uh, bunkers, body bunkers, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of ballistic shields. So we have all this stuff because we're all, all most of us are former SWAT and, and we all know how to use this stuff. So we, uh, <clears throat> we go to the door and I remember, uh, I got the, I got one of these lightweight shields that you can hold with one hand, have your hand gun in the other. And I got, um, um, a Casey, a Missouri, uh, PD detective behind me, Mike Bailey with a shotgun. <laughs> and, uh, we're, uh, we, we got the, the task force scattered out around the, this, this house, and we start bringing people out. <clears throat> Come out the first, we bring out the mom. The mom's not talking. Okay, then we bring out the girlfriend. The girlfriend's crying. Well, you know why she's crying? Because he's in there, and and she she knows the jig is up. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that she's go he's going to jail. Mm-hmm. So as it turns out. Um, we, 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 we interrogate them, you know, we, we investigate basically. And we interrogate them and say, look, we know he's in there. If, if so help us, if we go in there and some one of us get hurt, you're going to be on the hook. So don't, don't lie. Tell us the truth. And eventually, you know, like the mother confessed that, yeah, he was in there. So off we go. Uh, we go up to the door, got the shield, ready to go in. But first, you know, why go in? Have him come out. Yeah, right? that's the best way to go. Yeah. It's uh, why you know it's not. This isn't Hollywood. We don't go charging in there. So we go. I go. His name was his name was Larry. I said, uh, it was Larry Holmes or something like that, which is like a that boxer's name. But I say, Larry, say uh, FBI, come on out. You know, we got a warrant for arrest. You know, come on out and uh, nothing. Do this a couple times, Larry. You know, you're in there. Blah blah blah. All this. Now nope, he ain't coming out. <laughs> so don't hear nothing. And I said, Larry, we're not going anywhere. I said, if we have to get the dog. We're going to bring the dog in here, and then the dog's going to find you. It ain't going to be fun. And I'm yelling this, you know, <clears throat> to him. Finally, you hear this, F you, I ain't coming out. Come and get me. And I, <laughs> and I, I said, I remember standing going, I ain't going in there. I look at Mike, so we ain't going in there. <laughs> yeah, there's, right, there's, there's no purpose, right? No, no, he's got a gun, and yeah, we're not going in. I mean, that's silly. That's, so yeah. this is... This is now what we call a barricaded subject. So uh-huh. we're going to call SWAT. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Now, since it's not an FBI, it's an FBI case, yeah, but this is the FBI task force, but the underlying charge is a state charge. Therefore, we will call the Kansas City, Kansas Police Department SWAT team. Mm-hmm. They roll in, <clears throat> they surround the place, and they take it, they take over the scene from us. And basically, he's wanted in Kansas City, Kansas. He's in Kansas City, Kansas. Therefore, we got nothing else to do here. So we we waited until they were completely settled. And then, and then basically, we, we went ahead and went home. You know, it's about 6 o'clock at night now. And uh, I found out later, the guy killed himself. You know, so that's just, a, it's just, just the way it goes. And another guy, we... we uh, uh, he he had killed his girlfriend, and and the one morning it was like a weekday morning. He showed up at her work, <clears throat> waited for her to get out of her car, and then walked up to her and put a bullet in her head, killed her. Jeez. And I think it was his ex-wife or girlfriend, I can't remember. But but they they uh, and then he he took off. Well, the uh, the word was you know got out pretty quick who this guy was. Uh, witnesses saw him, recognized his car, all that stuff. So they call the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department. Police Department says they, they got information. He he's from Kansas City, Kansas, cross state lines. So whenever anything like that happened, the Kansas City, Missouri would immediately pick up the phone and call their detectives on the Kansas City uh, Metro. Uh, we call it the 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 FBI Kansas FBI Kansas City Violent Crime Task Force slash Fugitive Task Force. We we did Violent Crime Fugitive both. So they. So I picked up the phone, called the detective and say, hey, got a guy, bup, bup, bup. And they say, we're on it. And so I get the call uh, because I'm the task force coordinator. And uh, uh, Mike says, hey, this guy's coming. Or, or it might have been Larry. I can't remember. Or no, it might have been John. So whoever it was, it was one of the guys. He says, this guy just killed his wife. We think he's probably over, probably went back to KCK. We're spent, we got cars heading over there now. Okay. So I jump in the car, rally the guys, and we all, we all go charging over there. Now I'm on the way over there. I'm going, this is going to end up in a shooting. Mm-hmm. He's got a gun. He just killed his wife. We're going to roll up. We're going to try to take this guy into custody. He probably isn't going to go quietly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so I'm gearing up. I'm thinking this is going to end up in gunplay. So uh, on the radio on the way there, <clears throat> one of my uh, task force guys, Vic uh, Harshberger, he's actually a Casey, K- Kansas uh, probation parole. He says, "Hey, I got uh, got the guy. I got the guy's car. I see it in his driveway." I say, "Okay, keep an eye on it. We're rolling. We're almost there, man. We're a few minutes out. A few minutes go by as we're getting there, and all of a sudden, this guy comes out and gets in the car. So he's re- relaying this stuff frantically. He says, "Hey, the guy's getting ready to move." I said, "Stay on his tail, okay? Because." We're almost there, and, and we're going to come work. Basically, you live back in this neighborhood, and when we hit the neighborhood, we have the capability to cut him off, yeah. okay? So sure enough, um, the timing was such that when he got left and pulled out of a, couple, pulled a block or two away from his house, the uh, we pulled up and blocked his uh, his, his exit. And we got Suburbans, you know, we pull up, and we block him, and, and uh, we bail out with our M4s. And we uh, were leaning over the hood, telling him to, you know, to take, get out of the car. Well, he pulls up a handgun, sticks it to his head. Okay. And uh, and so we're going, now, th- that sometimes is a ploy to get you to come to them. And then they're just going to go, bam, shoot you. You know, so... So we're, we're not we're not going to budge from our cover. We're 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 not that far away. We're probably maybe ten yards, maybe, and uh, we're we're over the hoods of our cars. You know, drop the gun, drop the gun. You know, and he's saying things to us. Can't quite make it out. 
But we were able to make out what he said. He said, is she dead? Well, you know, that's tantamount admission that he he knows that his is this somebody he knows is dead or probably dead. So that's kind of an admission. He had done it right. Um, and we, we didn't answer. We just told him, put the gun down, put the gun down, put the gun down. Well, he didn't put the gun down. He, he took it. And we're watching him very closely. And um, he, he takes the gun. He's got it in his gun. He's got it. It was a, it was a Smith & Wesson 9mm. And he had it to his head. And he's looking at us. And all of a sudden he goes, pow. And he, and he shoots himself. And, you know, dead. He's PRT right there. Well, he's not dead yet. But he's, he's dead. He's going to die. And the bullet, you know, goes through his head. And it exits and goes into a house uh, over here and lodges in some uh, siding over here. But. Uh, it's a little truck, <clears throat> a little Ford Ranger. So I remember when the shot fired, um, you know, we're like this, you know, looking over the hoods of our car and, um, I kind of lift my head like this and I, out of the corner of my eye, I see my, my partner over here, Kevin, he, he looks at me, he goes, he looks at me, he says, well, there's something you don't see every day. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I said, I said, you got that right. I said, I'll be damned, you know? So uh, I said, well, uh, I, I said, let me grab the shield. And I said, now, what do I need a shield for? This guy, this guy is, I can see there's blood pouring out of his yeah. mouth. And he is no threat, okay? So I, I but I, I approach him um, uh, by myself, no reason, two of us go up there. I just went up by myself and I, with my gun out, opened the door. And uh, I, grab, I find he's covered in blood, but I find a piece and I don't have gloves on. And I, I, I what I should have done is stop and put gloves on, but I didn't. I, re, I found a piece, of, a piece of fabric that wasn't bloody on the back of his shirt and I grabbed it and I pull him out. And he just, you know, dead weight. Just, uh, the, I, if, if he wasn't dead, his head hit the pavement probably would have probably didn't help. Okay. But his head hit the pavement, just rolls out head first, bam lays down and they, you know, the blood is just pouring out of him. He has severed a major uh, artery in his, in his brain stem. And I mean, bottom line is he wasn't, he wasn't dead yet. The yeah. midbrain was still functioning. And, um, <clears throat> but he was as dead as you could be yeah. without being dead. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, the week course call ambulance, ambulance comes, they get on him and they, uh, they start, you know, we're looking at him and go, yeah, he's still got a pulse. So um, we, we got to take him because the guy looks at me and goes, I hate to screw up your crime scene, but we got to take this guy. He's still got a pulse. And I said, hey, do what you got to do. Yeah. So uh, off he goes, this guy, and he died in route. He died. He was DOA. But uh, uh, but that's a, that's a, you know, again, somebody just kills himself. I mean, it's, a, it's a, the damnedest thing. Guy was not going to go to jail. Yeah. And I, I don't remember this guy's criminal history, but he, um, uh, I don't think it was that serious. But it was just, he had, this, he had basically gotten to the point where he felt this was the solution, a murder-suicide. Yeah. And uh, and that's kind of people, and I always tell people, because I, I, I did a lot of training as a, as a firearms instructor, I was also the principal tactical instructor for the um, the office. And I tell the cops and the agents when we train, I said, we don't train for the people that will listen to us they, and that will do what we say. We train for the crazy ones, the crazy ones that will not follow your instructions, they will not do what you tell them to do. They care very little about their life. Why should they care about yours? So, and those are the kind of people we often encounter. So, I've, I've got a, another one about this. Uh, what is the 
Oh, the crash. There was another. Um, yeah, I've got images of a car crash you sent me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I should be looking. I should be looking at these pictures because they kind of prompt some of my uh, stories. But Don, I'm the, gonna, uh, I'm gonna go piss. <laughs> all right, go ahead. Let's pull up these pictures, and we'll get, we'll get them lined up. And then my, um, and then I can refer to the, the story. And it takes a while for these pictures to load. But the, I, the car crash was uh, <laughs> that was Friday on. I, there's a couple one. I got a, I got a shooting and I got a car crash. I got a list of things here that we can talk about. But um, back in uh, 2010, maybe um, the um, uh, we had a we had a guy wanted for aggravated assault, attempted murder, basically, and he uh, uh, was was at a was 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 out in someplace out in a suburb of Kansas City. Um, and he basically was in, in a house where we couldn't quite set up on it very well. But we were able to watch the intersection. And um, when the car left, that fifth inscription of what we believed his girlfriend was driving, it was at his girlfriend's house. Isn't that always the case? Uh, <clears throat> we were we were, we were able to follow that car. So we, we, we uh, immediately started uh, doing some loose surveillance on the vehicle to see who's in the car and if perhaps our fugitive was in the car, okay? And then if he was, of course, now we have to decide how we're gonna handle this. Well, as it turns out, uh, the um, this isn't gonna end well, <laughs> as you can see. But the uh, as it turns out, we're following the car and one of the detectives, uh, I think it was John uh, Cooley, who got up alongside him and said, yeah, that's him. He's in the, he's he's driving, he's behind, behind the driver uh, driving are buying the driver's wheel. So, oh, great. This is bad. If he's a passenger, yeah, that's a little better because we maybe we can get the driver to stop. But if he's driving, he ain't going to stop. Okay. So we're figuring, okay, we got to do something. We got to do a felony car stop on this guy. What's, what's because that? What's a felony? a felony car stop means this guy is not going to comply. Therefore, uh, well, there's felony cars, car stops where they comply. Those are a little different. And then there's felony car stops where they don't comply. Okay. And this is one where we anticipated <clears throat> he would not comply. So therefore, uh, we were we we're trying to find a spot to do it. It's one of these days in Kansas City where there wasn't a lot of traffic. I was kind of mid or early afternoon, maybe, uh, one or two o'clock, one thirty, maybe, something like that. It was um not a lot of cars on the road. So because we're following this guy, we've been following him, you know, for about 10 miles now. And the traffic just wasn't that heavy. And we can see, and you, when you're following somebody, you can look in the rear view mirror and watch their eyes and their rear and their, yeah. their side mirror. And you can see when they're looking at you. And, uh, and we were, we were clear, we were rotating cars on, you know, and trying to leapfrog with him. But eventually it got to the point where by the time we got downtown Kansas city, we were the only cars behind him. And they're just, we just weren't about to lose this guy. Yeah. So, we stayed on him. I wouldn't say we bumper locked him, but we stayed on him. And, um, and, and then we got to an intersection where it was two, four lane street and it was two lanes. And I, I, we could pull it was what there was nobody there, but he pulls up behind somebody. <clears throat> so we were able to pull up and, and block him. Okay. So, um, and I'm looking at this going, okay, <clears throat> if the, if we can take him here, we can jump out and I'm looking at my fields of fire. I'm going, okay, it shouldn't impact the car in front of him. Okay. It should, we should be good. If we do this the way 
we haven't envisioned. And we're discussing this on the radio. So we, we say, okay, this looks like as good a place as any, because he was looking really hard at us, and he was, we're just about that far from him taking off, we could tell. And then we got a car chase, and that's not good. Yeah. So we had to kind of push the envelope on this. So I, I would rather that civilian not be in the <clears throat> mix, but, you know, we, we thought we could handle it. So as it turns out, we stopped alongside a, a slight terrace that went into a park, and, of course, car in front, we pull our cars up alongside. I'm... I pull up alongside the civilian car. He's now stuck behind the other car. And then there's another car, another one of our task force cars pinning him in from his left side. He can't go anywhere. At least we thought, right? But he's in a Ford Explorer expedition, I believe expedition, a big one. And he guns that thing up onto the curb, up this terrace, through the park, out into um, this, um, I think it was 31st Street, main, a main drag, another four-lane street, four-lane four lane street. So I'm in, I'm up front there next to this car. So I jump back in. I've just taken off my seatbelt, drawn my gun, got back. I holster back up. I jump back in the car. I take off. I don't put my seatbelt on because I'm, I'm in hot pursuit, right? So I'm right in behind him. And if we get to this Southwest traffic way, it's now six-lane highway, red light. And he goes blowing through that red light. And he T-bones a Lincoln limo uh, and just creams this thing. And I said, oh, my God, he killed that guy. I said, that's this is we got to stop this guy. He's going to and he didn't stop. He spun around and I'm right there. I'm like just hovering with my vehicle and he's I'm waiting for him to kind of stop. He won't stop. He keeps pushing the car. The car is severely damaged, but he keeps pushing it. It's not it's still running. It's an expedition. And this podcast sponsored by Ford. Yeah, exactly. And I, I am driving a Chevy Tahoe, that silver Chevy Tahoe. So he heads down the wrong way on Southwest traffic way. And so now he's going against traffic and I see this. So I swing wide with traffic going down the southbound lanes. He's in the northbound lanes going south. I'm in the southbound lanes going south. Um, south. So I go down to the next light. There's a slight median in the middle. I, I go, I make a U-turn and just over the rise, I can see him coming. And uh, cars are kind of, you know, moving out of the way. And I got my light and siren on and I'm, I'm in right for him because I'm going to have to ram this guy. And um, he sees me coming at him. And so he does, he does one of these. He braces on a well, and, and you can tell he's, he's, he's getting guns. It, okay. So turn about fair play. I grab my stairwell and I stuck <laughs> So I am heading, and I didn't think twice about getting hurt. I was going to ram this guy and take him out. Cause he's going to okay? hurt other people. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, he was, what he was trying to do, I think was trying to go cut diagonally across those lanes of traffic. Cause he kind of, came from the far right, my far right, across all three lanes towards the median, but I caught him right before he got to the median, okay, in basically my lane. I went probably from the center lane over to the left lane, caught him in that left lane. And so my left front, my whole front and my left side impacted with the corresponding side on his car. And just, it was an explosion. It was, it was like... The car, you know, a big shake, and I, I fly into the steering wheel, 
well, but the, the airbags deploy. Every the oh, bags deploy all around me, you know, and I my I I can see just barely over the top of the airbags that my hood is is pulled pushed way up. Yeah. I know I am I've, I've I've ruined this car. Yeah. So this vehicle's out of commission. So I go to open the door. I'm I feel fine. Yeah. I open the door. I got to get out. I want to arrest this guy, right? So I figure he's taking off down the road. I got to stop this guy. So I push. I can't get the door open. So I get up against the, the console and push with my feet. And I'm able to get the door open just far enough for me to squeeze out. Yeah. And I get out and I stand. And there he is. He's not uh, but 40 feet from me, uh, hung up on the median. And all the task force cars are converging on him. They're trying to pull him out of the car. Well, I go running up there. And as I'm running, I'm looking to see what's going on and i got two detectives on one side um but pulling him trying to pull him out the driver's door which is damaged can't be opened and he's still got a i don't know if he has a seatbelt on or not but he he, um but he wasn't coming out probably not these these guys never wore seatbelts but i i so i run to they got that side so i run to the passenger side and the uh kevin finley our our, uh, johnson county detective is pulling a woman and a child out, and I think, and I think um, John Hogger, another agent, was there, uh, and they're pulling these people out. So I fished right between them and jumped in the passenger seat in the front, and I grabbed this guy by his right forearm, mm-hmm. his, his right forearm. Now, <clears throat> you know, they teach us a few control holds, and sure. they and I, they teach you just enough to get your ass beat usually in, in New Ages training, but if you learn a couple decent holds. You can control people effectively mm-hmm. as long as you know how to apply them and use them. So I, I learned, I made it my point to learn a couple effective holds, you know, c- control holds. So simplest one is a wrist lock to reach up and grab the, the, the hand and the by the hand and the wrist by the, by this hand. And then this hand with the, uh, the other hand, the forearm of this hand. And I basically just crank it. Okay. And there's, there's no way you can hold on the steering wheel when I do that. And I, and when I do, I just crank it, and now I got his wrist. I got the back of his wrist in my hand here, and I just crank it, and I just keep cranking it, okay? And when I, I simply, because I can turn that a quarter turn, and you're coming with me whether you want to or not. Mm-hmm. And I just back out of the car, dragging him with me, and I got him in basically a wrist lock. <clears throat> and he can't maneuver. He can't resist because I've got him in the car, right? So I, I pull him. He has to come with me because he's, he's screaming, okay? And I get him out. And by this time, you know, the other age, the uh, John is there and we and Kevin and we just we're just pile drive him into the pavement and uh, and cuff him. And yeah. so not not only did I get to hit his car, but I get to cuff him, I get to rest him too. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> so now the smoke clears, literally. Yeah. And you see the other picture there shows the the two cars. Yeah. Uh, the that's his Ford Expedition. What's left of it? What's what's on the road in front of? It's like brown. Yeah, that's the what was the antifreeze oil? God, it was every, every all the fluids were in that vehicle came out. Oh, I wasn't sure if that was blood. <laughs> no, no, no blood. Okay. The, the uh, passengers were slightly injured. He was slightly injured. It was the damnedest thing. I mean, you, it, these guys are like cockroaches. You can't kill them. Yeah. What was so, the uh, what was the car crash like? 
Is there like, oh, is it adrenaline? Does it slow down? Does it? I was, I was wired, man. I yeah. tell you what, I was wired. It was, it was like being in a shooting. Yeah. I was wired. <clears throat> and um, I don't know why I'm nodding. Yeah, like, oh yeah, all the shootings I've been in. Like, okay, okay, I know what you're talking about. Like, but you uh, understand adrenaline. You I understand, understand the uh, concept of it, but no, I've never had like a full on like adrenaline. Maybe, but not for like for my life. I don't know why I'm agreeing. Yeah. I've done that yeah. before with people where I nod. I'm like, sure, yeah, that's what you do. <laughs> that's what you do when you're. When you're when I had on Brigadier General Robert Spaulding, I think at one point I was nodding. He piloted B two Spirits. Those are two billion dollar stealth nuclear bombers. I was like, of course, naturally. Yeah. <laughs> In sweatpants above my parents' garage, I'm like, yeah, yeah. That's I remember that from the Air Force Academy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. okay. Yeah. Well, you can look at that picture and see the the vehicle, his vehicle. Yeah. If you look just past it, past the police, uh, one of the task force guys is standing uh-huh. in the photo, and just beyond that is that light. I'm right under that light. That's how close I was to him. Jesus. So he didn't get very far. Okay. As, as you can see, that vehicle was not drive-worthy anymore. Yeah. So <clears throat> it came to a screeching halt. But, Yours is pretty fucked um, up as well. <clears throat> well, I, I get out. Now, if you'll click on that little Word document, okay. there's a newspaper article that accompanied this story. Yeah. Let me, okay. Let me pull it up. And uh, FBI agent? That's that, it. Is that the Okay. It's opening. That's the one. Yeah. And, and if you would indulge me, read the title. Sure. It's it's opening up. It's... <laughs> oh, come on. It's going slow. Oh, come on. Do I, do I have to read it? No, I know how to read. FBI agent's <laughs> bold move stops runway driver. Bold, <laughs> bold move. Bold Man, move. did I get some mileage out of that? <laughs> bold <laughs> move. <laughs> It was yeah. They, so uh, so basically, uh, I'll synopse the article. Uh, they're basically <laughs> synopsized. It's um, the you know the media shows up. Of course, they're interviewing eyewitnesses, and uh, one of the guys, you know, uh, by now now everybody realizes, hey, though that's the FBI task force. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Making an arrest, and they they and the word gets out of what was going on and all that, and then uh, basically the. Uh, uh, they're interviewing this guy who was an eyewitness on his front porch watching the whole thing when it happened. And he basically goes, you know, at some point, you know, I guess the, uh, the they had to stop this guy. So the FBI has made a bold move. <laughs> have, you ever seen and, the, have you ever seen the movie Dodgeball? No, I, I've heard of it. I never have. A, oh, well, one of the lines from it is like one of, he, one of the guys does something stupid. He goes, that's a bold move. Let's see how it works out. <laughs> that's what I think. It's like. That's like a that's like a that's like a cult classic. So everyone knows the yeah. bold move. So yeah, well, that, when you can imagine, you know, working with the guys I was working with, yeah, bold the move. Kind of crap I took over that. I mean, they, they everybody everybody had a good hoot out of that. But it was. Uh, but if it's you funny, ha- I'm thinking, I'm thinking, okay, how is the front <laughs> office? gonna react to this you know okay. i i totaled an fbi vehicle but i mean if you and, hadn't um, imagine if he takes off and runs over a bunch of civilians and all of a sudden it's oh i thought the fbi was gonna stop this guy so it's you're yeah, kind of damned yeah. if so you I, do damned if you don't well, well thank you tommy that was kind of my rationale okay and luckily i i did have a very supportive um uh command staff basically yeah. at, at the fbi they, for whatever reason, they like me. They know I worked hard, and they know I, I did results, and I always tried to do the right thing. Yeah. I make mistakes, okay? 
I've made a lot of mistakes. I, sure. I could, I'm, I'm skipping over a lot of those, <laughs> but, uh, but man, I'm telling you, they, uh, but they, they were very supportive. I mean, they looked at it like, Hey, you, had, you did what you had to do. So well, the funny part about it was <clears throat> I end I ended up getting uh, another towel, but two years newer. Yeah, you know, so it yeah. worked out great for me. Yeah, well, I was gonna say it kind of sounds like when there's like mayors or politicians. We ever hear like a senator like, well, you know what? Maybe you know, whenever there's like a shooting of you know a cop, and it's you always hear someone from some ivory tower that's always like, you should have shot them in the leg, and it's like, dude, you're yeah, right. you're talking to again. That's like me giving advice on how to do this, and it's like I'm looking at it through like lazy like new year's day sitting in a sweatshirt and a leather chair and i'm like don let me tell you how you should have done it like when it's happening it's like i mean you can't know until it happens it's you know it's like how come they emptied the clip and it's like because at the end of like a car chase or a shootout and there's an adrenaline dump and here's a guy and it comes down to who's going home tonight you're just like yeah, it's it's it's, it's you, you do you you react based on your training experience, yeah. and then of course the adrenaline has a big 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 float in that, you know. Yeah. So you basically have to learn to control it to some degree, but it's very difficult. Yeah. But um, oh, I was say something else about that, but um, no, I I can't remember what I was going to say about that now. Oh, uh, bold move. Um, there was something about the uh, the front office, um, New Tahoe. Big, yeah, the new hot towel. They, they were pretty good. They said you do what you had to do, but you know that was that. I, I guess that was it. They they they, uh, they were pretty cool about it. And um, you know, I was supposed to leave. Uh, that was on a Friday, and I was at least supposed to leave, and go out of town. I was going to go back to Illinois and visit family or something like that. And uh, I told him I called my wife and told her about it. She says, "Well, you're not. You're going to be in. You're going to be sore tomorrow. You're not going to be." Yeah. I said, "I feel fine. I'm fine." And you know what? I never was. I, I bruised my knee a yeah. little bit. That's it. Huh. Uh, but I, I was fine. And we ended up going going home anyway. And yeah. so all, all weekend, I got to drink for free. Just told the story. Yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> so, Fuck yeah. But, but uh, I was going to try and hit. I we only got a few more minutes left here. Uh, I got, and then I have, and I, 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 I probably got, probably got another couple of stories. So let's do a part three. I don't, <laughs> it's, 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 all right, I, I'd have to think about that. But no, fuck it. Tell, tell them all. We're involved in a shooting. We're involved in a shooting in Olathe, Kansas, <clears throat> um, with the task force, and um, it was '09, if I remember right. Uh, got a guy. He was a one man crime wave selling drugs, you know, uh, uh, you know, robbing people, arm robbery, all kinds of things. He was, a, he was, a, it was Nick Henry, just, just an absolute thug. I mean, and, and he just ran, was running, running circles around the quads or the, uh, the, the metro area doing all the, all these crimes. So we were, we were trying to hunt this guy down and he was difficult to track. He was uh, basically, uh, he would never stay in one place very long. He had like girlfriends and crack you know uh, houses he'd hide out at we're always like one step behind him all uh one of the detectives uh, kevin finley again he was able to uh track down uh, a source that said um or the source came to him with some information i think because he he was a friend of the guy but he, he could see this guy was gonna end up dead mm-hmm. or in jail for the rest of his life and he because he was on it he was out of control he was you know he was strung out on drugs and all that and so he said, and he was getting more and more violent. And so he, he thought, you know, for as a friend, he needs to turn him in. And and he was absolutely correct. So uh, bottom line is he, 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 Kevin calls me and says, hey, I got this, uh, I got this source. It's like a Sunday. 
and he calls me. He said, "When where? Let's meet." And so we uh, we meet, and in in Olathe, as a matter of fact, and we in fact, ironically, we met in a parking lot uh, of just diagonally across the intersection from where the shooting actually ended up taking place. But it was just coincidence. Okay, <laughs> so we uh we got uh, the, the, i got the information from the source and we so we put the plan together well the first thing i do i'm gonna need more people because we want to we want to make sure this guy doesn't get out i got the task force out there and but i'm calling in my my swat guys okay mm-hmm. um now me I'm, I'm off swat now this is i'm pretty uh, 2009 i still i can't remember maybe i can't remember if i was on or not on that uh, yeah i think i still was how hard you, still was, how hard you I can't remember. I, I, they all run together. I, I don't think I was SWAT team leader anymore because I was running the task force and I wasn't doing both. I don't think. Anyway, um, I call up the, these guys and I say, "Hey, you know, we need uh, we need some bodies. Uh, you know, and I, they're all SWAT guys." And I said, "I said, come on out. A couple of them were on our squad, so they, so they came out. They they were happy to pitch in." And I said, "And bring the SWAT van." Okay, so they they did. So the plan was is that we were going to uh, this guy was going to meet him and if he got if he got into we're going to try and park his car next to the SWAT van and so when the guy pulls up we're going to try and entice him over to the source's car if he can get in the car with him then we can bail out and, and take him into custody okay but we had oh, this had to work just right okay so we we uh, we thought that's our best option right now because we don't. Because we know if we did try to car, ch- you know, try to stop in a car, be a car chase and all that. So uh, we got, and so we get the tip uh, says, "I'll get called. He's going to meet us at a restaurant in Overland Park, Kansas, which is an adjacent city." So we call the Overland Park Police Department and say, "Hey, we're going to be doing this operation. Uh, could you send us some officers?" And they said, "Happy to." So they sent us a bunch of officers over to help us out. So now we got the Overland Park Police Department there. We got us us there. We got our SWAT guys there. We're, uh, we got this all planned out. We briefed it. We did everything, you know, right down the line. Set up in a restaurant, got people inside, got two people driving the van, a man and a woman. It was actually Kevin Finney, uh, Finley and, and uh, a female FBI agent, okay, named Lena. And she was in there, and she was in there, and they're, and they're dressed down. They're dressed in street clothes, no body armor. They got their guns hidden. And um, they're, uh, they're basically going in like a couple into mm-hmm. the uh, restaurant, and they're going to, in case they go inside, okay? Because that was kind of what we thought was going to happen. So we had this covered every which way from Sunday. And lo and behold, we wait, wait, wait. Nothing happens. And, of course, typical, you know, bad, bad guy, doper type. He calls. He says, ah, maybe somewhere else. I'm going to head, go drive down to this quick trip. And, you know, now it's starting to get dark. And, he, and so I got to drive down to this quick trip in Olathe, which is about a mile from uh, where we ended up. Mm-hmm. And so we drive down there. Now we're leaving the jurisdiction of Overland Park, but they came with us. They came with us. So um, to their credit, and uh, well, they're there. And so we call the Olathe PD. We say, hey, we're in your town, but, you know, we're doing this operation. And they say, well, if you need any help, no, we're, we got a lot of guys out here. So uh, they said, okay, we'll, we'll steer, steer clear of the area. Okay. And, um, so we're waiting, waiting, waiting. And sure enough, uh, the, the source gets a phone call and he's wired up. We got a, a transmitter on him. He says, okay, just got a call. Um, he's going to be meeting me at, uh, at, at meeting me here. And he's, and he's, but he's going to call me when he gets here. And so, so we're looking around, but we don't know what he's driving. 
So uh, all of a sudden, um, we, we, we're watching, though, and we see a, a white pickup truck come in the parking lot. It's a Dodge Ram, brand new one. And um, uh, I see, we see you know, him get on the phone. So we think, hey, this might be interesting. And sure enough, he hangs up because that's our guy right there in the white truck. He told me to follow him. So, okay, we're following you. So he follows the white truck. And I, I again, it's one of those deals. I just happen to be in the right spot and I was following the source. So everybody else was following in behind me. Now we got guys scattered all over looking, you know, in case, you know, things get out of control. So now we're all trying to converge on this rolling surveillance. Well, he only goes down about a mile and he hangs right. And again, like I said, we're, we're literally, you know, a stone's throw of where we met earlier than day. And he turns right down this street and then he turns right into a shopping center, kind of a strip mall. One of these deals where it's not open to the street, but there's the backs of the building mm-hmm. space, the mm-hmm. street, but there's, of course, entrances and it's like a inner parking lot with stores all around. Okay. Yeah. And it's a great big inner parking lot with stores in a big, big rectangle. So I see him pull in. Well, I can't pull in. I'm going to be too close. So I drive down to the next entrance, turn in pick up a long eye. And I got a, a sergeant from the um, uh, Oval Park PD with me. And so he's communicating with his guys. I'm communicating with my guys. I said, okay, I got him. He said, he's, uh, he's pulling up. Uh, that truck is stopped. Uh, he backed in. Uh, the, 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 the Corvette that the source is in is backed in. There's a space between them. And um, they're facing north. Okay. So everybody knows what, to, what it looks like. So when they're coming in, I said, Bring, get everybody, uh, stack up on, you know, uh, 151st Street, make the right on Ridgeview, turn into the parking lot. Let's take them down right here, right now. And so I'm I'm in a position where all I got to do is go straight ahead. I'm right there. And um, uh, so I'm in the parking lot and the bus, maybe 100 yards away. And um, and sure enough, the, the van says, OK, making the turn. And they make the turn and they zip up right in front and kind of block these two vehicles so they can't get out, right? And, of course, the, they're, they're facing such that the, the driver or the passenger door can open and, the, and our guys can bail out away from mm-hmm. the cars. Can't be seen, can't be shot at, and they split up into two groups and go around either side of the van. And so how it went down was, and by this time, I'm rolling up, okay? And um, so how it happens is that the guys that went out the back side of the van went to the car door and yanked out this woman that was in the car. And thank God they did. And the other guys turned around and came out the other side. And, and the minute the car came in, the minute the van pulled in, it's a, it was it, it's just a uh, looks like a blue van. It's just a, I think it was the white van. I think we had that. It was in, but it looked kind of like a work van. This, the woman says, it, it's the cops, it's the cops. She said, she picked, picked us out for cops right away. And for, I don't know why she did. And, and so, the, the guy jumps out of the Corvette, runs to the truck, pulls out a gun, starts shooting at us, okay? Well, he was met with a hail of gunfire, okay? And he jumps inside the truck, and he tried to shoot Kevin as he got out of the car first. And then he, he's, uh, but he's inside his truck now, with the door shut, and he's shooting, and we're shooting back. He got a couple, one or two shots off, maybe. And, uh, and then he got, it was answered with a volley of shots. Luckily... The guys had pulled that woman out on the passenger side, immediately threw her to the ground, and just about the time our guys opened up and they started shooting at this guy. Now, there wasn't – the potential for crossfire was huge, but 
it, it worked out real well. It, it didn't, the, nothing, I repeat, nothing got through that truck. That truck was a bunker. It got all the, we shot all the windows out and he was trying to crawl into the back seat and get on his body armor. And cause he told us this all this later. And he, uh, he ended up getting shot in both arms, both legs, both hands, both feet. This was like, what's that? Eight times. And then he got hit, um, once in the head and, and then twice in the body. So it was like a dozen times he got yeah. shot. And oh, so, shit. so he, he, uh, uh, he basically ends up in, in the back and I, and somewhere in the, in the courses, I say he managed to get off two shots. He got in the back and they disappeared below the, the, uh, the, 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 the door of the, of the vehicle. So any shots that hit the truck did not get in. Um, so, uh, everything stopped shooting, uh, no, nothing to shoot at. So we stopped shooting. Uh, we, uh, we, then I, we yelled at him, Hey, Put your hands up, put your hands up, see your hands. So we can see one bloody hand come up. And then uh, let's see the other one. So he's, he's, he's conscious, he can hear us. Get the other hand up, get the other hand up. See two bloody hands. So I grab the shield, go walk up, open the door, and I got to literally sort through bags of crap in the back seat to get my hands on him. And we, we pull him. Or I, I don't, maybe I didn't even, I don't think, maybe I take it. I don't, I don't think I put hands on. I just come up, open the door, got a chance to look in there. And the guy started pulling stuff out. And they, we pulled him out. And, and I think it was John Cooley that, that cuffed him, put him on the ground and cuffed him. But, uh, and he was wounded uh, severely. He was covered in blood. Okay. And so, but he's in a lot of pain. And I, I remember looking at him, I go, Hey, Nick, Say, are you, are you in pain? He goes, yeah, hell of a, he goes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, that's good because you'll, that means you'll probably survive. I said, so just hang on. And, uh, and it happened to be, there was a paramedic having a pizza at a, at a place nearby. He came over, rendered a little assistance to the guy. Plus the cops were there and, you know, the LA PD was there in a heartbeat and they patched him up and hauled him off in handcuffs to the hospital. But, um, that was a, a big shooting we were involved in in, uh, in Kansas in, in, uh, with the task force. And I, I used the example to uh, teach civilians about sh- uh, shootings because I teach concealed carry and, mm-hmm. and defensive pistol and things like that. And I said, just because you shoot somebody doesn't mean they're going to stop yeah. fighting. Okay. Uh, they've been, I've seen videos of guys. I just saw one recently where a police officer shot this guy. Mm. 14 out of 15 times she had a malfunction uh, a stovepipe in the middle of her string of fire she cleared it and continued shooting before the guy went down and he was holding was swinging two machetes at the time jesus so i mean and, and she was backpedaling trying to get away from it I and mean, it was incredible i mean bullets you know will perform a certain function provided they you know you hit them in vitals but you have to bleed out. Your blood pressure has to drop before you're going to collapse. Yeah. And some people get hit in the arm. They, they, they fall down. And they go, oh, I'm, I'm shot. I can't move. But some people get shot in the heart and they'll stand there and look at you. You know, it, it's just a, it, it just is, um, there's no explanation for it. It's like I've deer hunted, shot shot deer through the, both lungs and the heart and they'll run 100 yards. It's just uh, adrenaline, you know, it, and, and humans can do that. Not like that, but they can do things like that. So it's a, it, they're not, the fight ain't over. What is the old saying? Yeah, you, you 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 should keep shooting until you not till you think he's dead, but until he thinks he's dead. So that's <laughs> the bottom line. Jesus. So is is there? I mean, is there any? I guess 
Well, it's like law enforcement, so you're not necessarily like going for the kill. I was going to say, you, you know, go to neutralize the stuff. Yeah. I was going to say, well, what about stronger stuff like the military? Then I realized that's why it's in the military. It's because they're not trying to take you hostage. They're, you know, trying to eliminate right. you. Okay. Yes. So something like a, yeah, like armor piercing. Yes. Or... The irony of that is, is that the, the, the ammunition, the, the military uses is not effective as law enforcement ammunition. Law enforcement ammunition is made to expand and stay inside the human body, whereas military ammunition is made to zip right through. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the more people you can hit with one bullet, the better. Yeah. But, you know, then uh, there's some some people say, hey, in the military, it's a great idea to wound somebody because every time you wound somebody that takes at least three or four people to take care of that one guy. Yeah. So you, you tie up a lot of resources. Yeah. And the trouble with wounded guys, they come back and fight again. Yeah. You know, so. But, yeah, that's uh, there. If there is a, a you know, I could go into, you know, about, you know, uh, firearms and, and shooting and defensive defensive use of firearms, things like that. But we're out of time, I think we've been two hours. So. It's well, a, fuck you, right? We have. Well, yeah. I, I don't think we're finished yet. I think we need to do a part three. <laughs> if you've got more stories. <laughs> well, I've always got more stories. Well, then we're <laughs> doing a part three. Well, you know, some of them might be true, too. You never yeah. know. So, so <laughs> I... Uh, I, I get, I'll have to think about it. We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll Maybe, talk. Yeah, yeah, we'll... yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm busy for probably the next... I think I'm busy through, like, the 10th or 11th. No problem. But um, we'll put together a part three, and you need to put together. You need to, yeah, get some more stories, and let's do. I do an episode. I do at least one a day, so it's not. Yes. it's not like it's like oh, we're gonna do a third. It's like I'm gonna do episodes anyway. So it's like, come yeah. on, on. If you got good stories, tell the stories. <laughs> well, I get I I, I some, of the, some of the best stories I have are not FBI stories. So. <laughs> I that's, uh, but that's that's a bet for another time. Okay. But well, that, but I appreciate it. I I, I did this. I'm, I when I first started this, I go, nah, I don't know about this. What's what the hell wants to hear this stuff? I mean, when I tell stories at a party, everybody gets a big kick out of them. I thought, well, what the hell, it might be fun, and it has been. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. fun me fun. reminiscing about this, and it's just been it's been a lot of fun to do that. And I've gotten a lot of positive feedback yeah. from my first one. So yeah. you know, you're you're feeding the dragon, man. Yeah, it's not good, a good, idea. good. No, I'm gonna continue. To feed the I'm gonna keep feeding you until you sprout wings and start breathing fire. I'm poking the bear. I'm like, do something. <laughs> go, yeah. go farther. No, man. That's, well, that, that's my favorite thing, though. Is that's what's yesterday I had on Helen Patton, granddaughter of General George Patton. Yeah. And, and she asked me, what is it? Because she said, you know, she's like, your podcast episodes are all over the place. Like, what is it that's your interest? And I was like, I am passionate about talking to people who are passionate about something. I don't care what it is that they like. I don't. Yeah. I don't give a shit. Writing, FBI, making shoes. I don't care. Trading cards. All of those. When people are yeah. passionate about something, I just like having them on because it's like genuine good content. Because they just light up and they tell you the story. Well, as a matter of fact, I'm, I've got uh, Gerald Posner's. Uh, oh yeah. Podcast queued up. I'm going to watch it right after yours because I read his book. It's fantastic. Which one? The, the one about uh, Case Close. Case Close. That one's really good. Yeah, I had a, yeah, yeah. yeah. Great. He's, he's, and, I, and I think he's running on the money. Yeah. I think he's running on the money. Yeah. My brother and I disagree. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, my brother is Secret Service. Yeah. He, he thinks, uh, yeah, you did the podcast about Firebase Cake with him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, but he's yeah, he, he's he has different opinions. I, I'm going. Eh, I don't. I don't know if I buy that. You know? I'm, I'm with I'm with Bill. I'm all in. On, I'm all in on the conspiracy. I'm like it was the fucking CIA. <laughs> it was James Jesus Angleton. That's who it was. 
despite hey, all of the evidence could, to the contrary, I will stand. It could be, you know, could be. So, oh man, it was. I got tempted yesterday because Miss Helen Patton brought up, and she was like, you know, some people think like my grandfather's death was a conspiracy, and she was like, whether or not it is, like we don't need to go into that. Mm-hmm. I was like gripping my chair. I was like, can we please go into it? <laughs> I was like, that's my favorite. I I live in a world of tinfoil hats. That is my yeah. that is my arena. Yeah. That is my lifeblood. But um, that one's a good one. Um, you should watch any of the ones with uh, Dale Comstock, Delta Force. I, I am. I'm gonna watch those, and I, I've seen Jim, Jimmy Gallianos. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's is. Yeah. So I, I am. You got you got quite a uh, selection there. So I'm gonna start touching on those. Yeah. I've been I've been kind of confined to a couple uh, uh, retired FBI uh, case files podcast and a and a Jordan Peterson podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but I, I, I'm adding you to my list. Good, good. It's it's really easy to find the Dale Comstock ones because just go just sort videos by most viewed. His are all the top, <laughs> and it's, okay. everyone loves seeing him. He just gets into it. He just gets all jacked up and talks about he's just gonna start killing. I'm like, fuck yeah. yeah. There, there's some good ones, man. It's uh, there's some crazy ones, man. Ep- yeah. One of my favorites, I like them all, but one of my favorites, episode 216 <laughs> with Charlie Duke, the 10th man to walk on the moon. That mm-hmm. one was that one was special. You just did that, didn't you? No, no, no. That was because this is episode 306. That was episode oh. 216. Oh, somehow or another that popped up. I, I, I was. Well, I yeah, was it's, it's, yeah, it's uh, yeah, that one's a great one. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Durant, episode 95. Yep. There are a lot I of cool ones. Out. Yeah, one sixty. I'll, I'll, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I'll just text them to you. I don't know why, why I'm. Why, I want to know why I'm in the company of these guys. That's yeah. what I want to know. Everyone, that's what everyone asks. They're like, "Why do you want to talk to me?" And I'm like, "Because you're I, the same thing." The um, I think it was two eleven. Rob yeah. Manning, the chief of NASA, JPL. He's the head guy of the rovers they send to other planets. Yeah. I emailed him and I was like, "Would you like to come on the podcast?" And he was like, "Why me?" He was like, "You have such big guests," and I'm like. I'm like, with, I'm like, with all due respect, sir. And I said this to him on the podcast. I was like, with all due respect, you drive around toy cars on other planets. I was like, I don't really, I don't know how I follow that up. Like, what do you mean? It's so the same thing to you. You're like, why do you want to talk to me? I'm like, as like, we just did an episode on you, like taking down the terror cell that was going to bomb the World Trade Center for a second time. Like, with all due respect, what the fuck do you mean? Why do I have you on? Because <laughs> you have great stories. Like, that's <laughs> old hat to us. It's well, it's you got to remember, dude. Because otherwise, it's just me sitting here, like, yeah, my me and my dumbass friends. Like, let's talk about aliens. Like, no, man, I like you. Got good stories. So, um, let's, we lose perspective sometimes. Yeah, well, it's that's good. That's humility, right? Or it's, but um, yeah, it's yeah. Same thing with Charlie Duke. He was like, thank you. He was like, what? He's like, why would you? You know, what would you like to talk about? And in my mind, I was like, "What it's like to walk on the moon?" I was like, "That's sometimes I don't know." I'm like, "What do you, what do you mean? <laughs> what do I want yeah. to talk?" So, but I realized most of these people really are that humble. It's same with Mike yeah. Durant. He was like, yeah. "He's like, I, I'm not sure if it would be interesting. What would you like to talk about?" And I was like, "Getting taken hostage for 13 days in Mogadishu, like <laughs> having Bill Clinton threaten to invade with the entire U.S. Army." Yeah, that's it. I was like, just yeah. just spitballing. We could talk, yeah. you know, or we yeah. could talk about whatever the NFL. But you know, it's but yeah, man, you've got good stories. And as always, I say it's um, if you have anyone of any interest, of any interest, 
Please yeah, get him to come definitely. on. Yeah. Well, I, I would. I'd recommend you because, you know, it's 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 fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's, it's fun. You know? it's, so, that's that's yeah. what I try to make it. Is yeah. it's, it's not some, like I said, not some edited, like, welcome back. It's just like, no, it's just like, I'm going to go pee and you keep telling stories about, like, ramming cars into people. And it's just like, there's no <laughs> there's no editing unless someone specifically asks, like, can you take that out? There's no editing, man. It's just, it's this. It's, it's like I said to you on the phone before we did an episode. You were like, what is it like? And I'm like, it's like this phone call, but with video. Yeah. It's all yeah. fucking is. And it's just, right. there's nothing more. It's, it's Yeah, so please yeah. do. Always trying to grow it. And um, I'll text you. I'll text you on my favorite episodes, but let's definitely put together a part three. Sounds good. Thanks, Tommy. All right, all right my hey, man. Happy, Thank, New Year. happy New Year's to you as well. And you, God, please let 2021 be better. <laughs> oh, you're right. You said a mouthful. I know. God, Thank it's going to, in a year, we're going to look back at this and be like, those poor souls. Yeah. <laughs> they had no idea. <laughs> all right my man happy care, new year's man. thank you very much you bet see you later bye-bye